Hello and welcome to episode 197 of the Crate and Crowbar. My name is Chris Thurston. That's Philippa War. She just did a silly face at me and she's very proud of herself. Also joining us this evening is Tom Senior. Hello. Hello everybody on this, the 12th of July. Mm-hmm. He said, adding the date, which we need to say at the beginning of the podcast. For, 2017. For some 2017. Uh, I've lost my thread, and I didn't even have one yet, so this is, we're sort of down one thread. Pip, maybe you can help, With what? what given you're so like? keen. Oh, well, I thought we were going to do the news, but you should do the news right about now. That's a great idea. Thank you for that reminder. <laughs> uh, it's not, there's not a lot of news, it turns out. There's not a lot of news. Uh, it's another quiet summer Wednesday in the games industry. However, we did find some news from a few days ago. <laughs> So let's talk about that. So Oculus... But surely it's news just from the week. The well, week since you recorded my, the last podcast. Well, I mean, we've never really defined it in any particular way. So why are you now acting like this is a lackluster thing that's happened? I just... I wasn't feeling the love in the room with the scowling and the I silly faces. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like 70% scowl. That's a 70% scowl. You've corrected me. <laughs> Silently. Anyway, the news is that, well, Oculus have, are doing a summer sale for the Oculus Rift, which means that it's a lot cheaper, uh, than it was previously, because that is how, how sales work. It's $400. I don't know what that is in pounds. Probably about. It's 400 pounds. Oh. As in, it, it isn't in terms of actual currency conversions, but it's, yeah. It's 400 money units in wherever you're from. And, um. Still a lot. It is still a lot. That does mean that it's $400 down from where it started. Mm. Um, and this, this sale runs for, I think, the next couple of weeks. So it is a temporary thing. But it's interesting, I think, he said. And I mean that. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because. Um, You've sounded very uncertain since we started this. Are you thanks. all right? Well, you put me off right at the beginning, so that'll do it. Oh. He's just reaping what you sow now. I didn't really understand why we had quite such a long period of silence. I mean, what do you do we, with it? We, we use it for noise cancellation purposes. That's why I make you be quiet for 10 seconds at the <laughs> oh, start. Oh, I can't episode. do that. It's no, very difficult. Anyway. Um, anyway. So the Oculus. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's interesting that they've cut the price a bit because for me, that feels like they obviously want more people to pick it up than are currently doing so or Mm. they're uncomfy with the rate of how purchasing has slowed down perhaps. Um, but I mean, I, I think that they've sort of their, their public response is more oh no we're fine with it it's just a nice sale um but it it does for me feel like it's a oh god the initial hubbub has died down so we do need some way to keep new users picking it up or dramatic sales are usually a sign of a a hubbub that is in need of help Tom, you'd like to speak. As a musical <laughs> note to announce my presence in the podcast. Are you a ghost now? <laughs> so we've got a new system in the podcast going forward. If you've it's got to, you've got to take, you've got to ting your little hot take bell yeah. to let us know that it's coming. Like a cow. <laughs> I, I don't really have a hot take on it, except to express my continued disappointment in VR. And I, I think, you know, it's very nice to discount the hardware, but 
where the, you've just got to have the killer apps and the things that people want and understand that they want, if you know what I mean. Like, there, there's some really cool mm. stuff in VR, but nothing that would, is worth £400. I mm. think that they've also discounted the games as well, or rather the a lot of the stuff that you can um, buy for it. Um, I'm not 100% on that, so I'm going to do my doubtful voice. Mm. Um, but I also think something that I'm hoping for is that if the price does go low enough, then enough people might pick it up on a whim. I don't think £400 plus a whole bunch of potential PC upgrades is low enough for that to happen it's not whim but, money is it no. no but i'm i'm hoping that if it does get low enough for whim money then people will pick it up and just start making real experimental nonsense that will hopefully then start reinvigorating what's gone on and mm. start really fleshing out yeah. the ideas you gotta there. imagine that's their hope as well mm. um and i'd like actually i mean i remember i think i've said this on the pod already but i remember at the playing with the oculus rift touch at the pc game a weekend uh, i was very, very impressed by it yeah like I, I liked it a lot more than the vive in the vive's current state yeah i think the um to its credit the oculus headset and uh the controllers are far more comfortable i played a fantastic killing floor demo with it yeah made me think this is actually like a, a game i would play as, as someone who enjoys shooters genuinely really responsive really good really comfortable lightweight mm. it's, it's, it gets all of that stuff right um which is which is great but uh, I think that it was a huge blow to see the PlayStation VR platform is just vanished since it was released. Yeah. That was the commercial. And, and it did a lot better in terms of numbers mm. than either of the other headsets, I think. And where are the games for it? Where are the products for it that, you know, what's, you know, if I had bought that, I would feel quite, I'd feel regret for purchasing it now, I think. It feels mm. like a flash in the pan that's just gone away. Admittedly, I went around to mates to play X-Wing VR Mission mm. and then almost like went and bought a PSVR <laughs> from game on the way home. I yeah. didn't because I'm not insane. But it shows but... the potential of it, right? Like, yeah. If, if, if it was supported and actually had the, the software and the game support. Is it not supported? As in like, how much of this is because we work in PC gaming and don't own the software and thus aren't looking and how mm. much is that there genuinely isn't stuff out there like have you yeah i, I think i can't remember seeing I, I don't know what i couldn't name a big hitter for playstation vr like mm. as a consumer as someone who would go into game or go on to i think tethered was supposed to be a psvr thing but i think mm. it ended up coming to pc i don't think it was initially going to right or they hadn't announced it for that because i remember that i was at egx and i played it on psvr mm. and was surprised by how lightweight and comfy that specifically was mm. but yeah like i think my head was so tiny that it was on its like tiniest setting and still <laughs> needed adjusting but um yeah <laughs> i've forgotten where i was going with that um i i don't know like i wonder because there's a obviously there's a limited time aspect to this which is oh yeah no it's just a summer sale but i wonder how much of that is also that there's a psychological benefit there of oh, i should get this while it's cheap and yeah. not when it goes back up again so it might just be a, another psychology tactic whereas if it was a permanent reduction it's like oh dear this thing is really in trouble mm. i wonder if to an extent as well vr i now realize feels like i, I think people are always aware that there's going to be a danger associated with early adoption um i think maybe the extent i i i certainly personally think i underestimated the extent of that risk mm. to the point where now i feel like there's a risk attached to adoption <laughs> like 
uh, both in terms of how much it's going to be supported in the future, but also how big a difference each new generation of that hardware has made. Hmm. And if valves have a new vibe in the pipe, then that's likely to be way better than what exists now and, and so on and so on and so on, which is discouraging, right? Like you want the assurance that the stuff you've got is going to be future proof or cheap to upgrade at least, or you know what I mean? That mm. you kind of, you can't just buy into a system and have most of the system that you need. It feels like wholly replacing your VR setup to make sure you have the best possible experience. Uh, which you feel a lot more pointedly in VR than in any other kind of, like with a PC, you can probably cope for months, if not years, when you finally start having to knock down the graphics settings to run a game. Yeah. As soon as VR experiences outstrip the hardware, you probably won't, simply won't be able to do them because hmm. of whatever technology is being used to improve those experiences. But also, in a lot of cases, it's the difference between something being exciting and playable and it making you throw up, which What's- is pretty big difference. Specifically on the Oculus front, I would be interested to know how the lawsuit stuff has impacted the sales as well. Like whether consumers or potential consumers are even aware of that stuff, like the the lawsuit between Oculus and Zenimax, um, mm. I mean. Um, so, I, you know, maybe people aren't bothered, but maybe if people are reading that stuff, then they're not sure whether the stuff is going to get yanked or like whether it's you know like that's Mm. another complication i guess potentially yeah or if you know facebook themselves aren't a hundred percent sure like because i have i can't remember like whether it's ongoing Mm. or i think they're still disputing it but Mm. Mm. yeah i I kind of keep thinking about it as like why would i buy one and and i'm thinking about getting a switch this month when some freelance money comes through because zelda is there Mm. and the killer apps do shift platforms and it almost feels like there has to be almost like a big budget triple a equivalent attached to oculus that they also market as part of the uh the thing and and that doesn't exist yet and it won't exist for a few years especially if the hardware isn't set and the vive has loads of problems especially with its its trackers and uh especially if you like living spaces in britain just aren't big enough to the things i've had to do to get it work in this room yeah were nuts yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe it's different in the US. Maybe how like houses are just larger there, and there's more space. But you know, but even you know, not in that, New right? York. Not mm, in yeah, yeah. Like, mm. I, I don't know. I also think that I I I'll just reiterate my usual point with VR, which is I think all of the most interesting things will be done outside the game space anyway. So mm. like I haven't written it off, and I don't. You know, I'm I'm not in the camp that's like oh VR is entirely a waste of time, and it's you know just emperor's new clothes or it's the the new trend of early adoption that's just going to fall in the bin again Mm. um but i don't think that gaming is where that stuff will happen i think it will be research i think it will Mm. be um you know social sciences i think it will be interesting sort of art experiential things maybe you know therapy but i don't think it's gaming (laughs) yeah i can imagine a bunch of rad museums where they use it to bring things to life or something like that. Um, hmm. One thing I've, I've tried to have noticed, uh, sorry, hang on. Um, <laughs> Will the, your mic even have picked that up? Well, I hit the mic with the wine glass. So I hope that might just be a thunk. Yeah. That's the hot take thunk. Um, uh, which is my favorite Bruno Mars song. Um, 
so it feels like VR has a natural home with games as a bonus mode or an add-on to an existing AAA game or, or, a, or an existing game of any kind. Like, um, like the Battlefront thing they did on PlayStation with the VR mission, which was brilliant and used all of the same assets and tech that would had been made for the Battlefront game more broadly. So obviously they didn't need to like recoup all of their money from it. And it was made by Criterion who were doing all the spaceship stuff for Battlefront 2. So it was almost like a test run on the game for them. Um, and it was like a really, I feel like I was, if I was a VR adopter, getting more stuff like that in the games I was playing anyway would make me feel glad that I had the tech because mm. I can also play this extra fun thing that is just there, like not in a full experience, but it's sort of like I can jump in and do something else with the game. I don't know if there's much incentive for developers to invest in that way. But for example, like last week I was talking about Everspace, which I've been playing a lot and I really like. And that has uh, VR mode. You know, when you boot it up, it asks you if you want to play the game, play Vive mode or play Oculus Rift mode. And that's just, I mean, obviously I think, you know, this maybe it's occurring more to me because a lot of the games I like involve being in a spaceship's cockpit, which is a perfect environment for VR. So a lot of them ha- offer this as an aside. But that I think is, is the way I would like to see it become, become a, f- a feature of gaming is like to have it be, a mode like you know for example if a game isn't fully playable in vr like uh let's think um maybe like no man's sky for example something like that something where you probably would be spending so much time in the game and you'd be doing things that you mean you wouldn't want to be lumbered with vr if it had like a vr observer mode where you could just tool around and maybe combat was switched off or something like that so you could look at things as if you were really there hmm. dota does this like that kind of employment of vr would be really for I think I am more interested in the game's adjacent stuff. You mentioned Dota, and I think the most promising thing that I've seen in VR that is specifically within gaming was the spectator stuff for um, last year's International, where you could just sort of... It was almost like going to a uh, drive-in movie space and you could actually just literally sit on the floor of your house and look up at what in the headset was a giant screen in front of you and actually just watch it and i think that those kinds of experiences if you because you could do so with other people you could just drop into a lobby with other people around and they would just be sort of floating heads and things Mm. but um i can genuinely see a kind of if you cannot be at this event in person you can get something of that flavor with just you know other people spectating in a little lobby with this giant thing ahead of you and like more of a feel of the crowd than yeah, yeah, just really nice. on your tell sofa. you what they should, what they really should cool. totally do so i can't go to ti this year it's the first one i've missed since ti3 and so i probably will spend a lot of that welcome with, to my last year yeah sat on the floor with the vive on weeping um mm. <laughs> but what they should do is stick a like a person in the crowd with a camera on their head, like cameras all who over is, his head all yeah, around. who is the VR person, and everyone at the international can can show that person an amazing time. <laughs> so you can just sit there at home watching. You buddy up, you yeah. mean? <laughs> no, I mean it'd probably be one person for all of the VR people if that worked. But yeah, you just you know. You, He's got a really good seat. Yeah. He's got like... He's wearing like a, a onesie or something. He's or like a like, walking, talking Google, like, map fan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> just photographing but stuff it'd be, it'd be this time. experience of being at TI, but where everyone was like, hey, every time they saw you. Like, yeah. Always buying your beers and passing you yeah. beers, like Aww. the perfect thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. Or even just like using it as a collaborative, like movie watching space. Cause I know that mm. a lot of people yeah, have talked cool. about the potential of having the big screen mode, but within VR and, you know, being able to like shut off and play something or watch something as if you're just in a sort of sensory deprivation thing. But I think actually the opposite, you know, where you mm. could actually watch a film with someone, but miles apart, like when I was in a distance relationship, that would have been so nice being mm. able to just sit yeah, on the cool. faux sofa together yeah, yeah. and watch a thing. Like VR yeah. Mystery Science Theater 3000. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think that would have. So been there, really there are nice. uses for it. I think it, it does really, really work as well. That um, I love the cinema, uh, VR stuff. Like mm. Watching a film, it does feel like a big screen. You know, it does give yeah. you a sense of that cinema experience. I, I'm really interested in social VR as well, which I've not experienced yet at all. Mm. Uh, in terms of like other people with headsets being in the same room or even different. Yeah, places. it is. And That's it is so amazing. weird and fun. And yeah, like you, really you cool. instantly develop this like. Uh, like dancey kind of language of interaction. Oh, that's interesting. What's amazing is yeah. if, so, Didn't if you even can, get if, teabagged. If you can, only, <laughs> well, what I was going to say is if you can only see someone's head and their hands, you express yourself more. You can still do a lot of quite rude gestures <laughs> to other people, to strangers yeah. on the internet. I've discovered. Yeah. Um, it's quite easy to 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 ma- to mime a uh, a pretty graphic pelvic thrust kind of leer that's mm. that's that's doable mm. it's also possible to do that um fun take on me dance mm, and yeah. the macarena yeah and the macarena mm. Mm. yeah what's that what's that dance from that viral dark souls video where they're all where you're going to dark souls with your best mates i don't and know and they're all doing dancing to take on me dark souls. and it's been like it's got like five million views on youtube i watch you it like know every week i don't know this i had to ask you what the thing was today with the man Oh, I remember. Yeah. You don't. <laughs> Dabbing. Dabbing. That was the oh, one. Yeah. That was the thing with the Didn't man. Didn't know what that was. Yeah, my girlfriend discovered that last week. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah but it was about two weeks ago. Like, yeah. 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 So I'm ahead of a trend for one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh, whatever that dance is. So I'll put yeah. the link in the show notes because it's a wonderful video and I think about it all was the time. It Harlem Shake? No, that's, that's very 2013, 12. Yeah, 12. but I mean, it doesn't mean that, like, I mean, Dark Souls is also quite old. Yes, but... It's and, memes are forever. Yeah, exactly. So it could have been someone doing the Harlem Shake. They could have been doing the Mannequin Challenge. See, all of these things I know. Ice I think someone's doing the Mannequin That's Challenge in VR, then something's broken, probably. Like, <laughs> um, I'm Just not... name viral content. Okay. <laughs> I've got next week off. I might get the, I might get the vibe out and have mm. a... Like, like you said, Pip, like actually search for things that might be good instead of just dismissing the whole thing out of hand. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is really good. Like all the archery games really are good. good. I think it's yeah. just really good at a subset of experiences. Yeah. Like, but like a lot of the things are fun. Like, like flying a, spe- a fighter, space fighter, that's fun. Mm. Fight, shooting a bow, that's fun. Mm. Those are basically the two VR games. Yeah, it's um, it's always, my experience with it so far has always been the five minute vignette um, that is... It's mm. kind of cool for five minutes, but I would never play again just because the hassle of booting up and everything else and setting up the whole bloody room. Maybe people try and make things too complicated or too boring. Like, you could do a good The Floor is Lava game, right? Someone did. Did they actually? Yes, there is a a, a VR Floor is Lava game. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that the case, maps you. Sure. It uses the front camera on the Vive to map your actual furniture and then... 
Oh, see, I wouldn't risk that. But like, it could actually just put like fake markers on the floor. You know, like you yeah, can yeah. actually just see bits that you can jump to safely, and hmm. that would actually be kind of a fun thing. And like, just navigating an obstacle course around your living room that you you know only you can see and is the floor, hmm. things like that. But it's stuff that you know, as a kid, you know, like don't step on the cracks. That that kind of stuff could actually just be quite fun. But people seem hell bent on like making miserable repetitive shootery bobbins to be fair <laughs> like the best as VR- with all games the best vr game i've played is killing floor incursion that demo yeah, was amazing it. yeah and like that is that's <laughs> you know what i mean that is yeah that is generic <laughs> amazing time playing killing floor incursion that's the first so thing like oh my god uh, you can pick up people's arms and then just waggle your arms and beat beat zombies up with the you arms of other zombies. You could have done zombies. the double Macarena. Yeah. Like, no one's done the double Macarena. <laughs> I, went at it, I went at it so vigorously when I was at um, in the demo booth that like all of the developers around cracked up laughing yeah, watching I me just kind of flailing well. with his... It's quite like... <laughs> I was having the time of my life. Yeah, because I... Yeah, I was there for like a pre-session and it came people beginning to queue. And mm. I was like, yeah, I was, I was genuinely having the time of my life. Yeah, it's so good. You throw one, you throw a gun from one hand to the other. Just why, I mean, why would you? But no. it looks fucking cool. You feel yeah, you, yeah, you bad boys yourself at that point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I love it. <laughs> a lonely man throws a shotgun to himself. <laughs> bad boy. <laughs> what you gonna do? <laughs> Alone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm glad no footage of me doing that exists. Yeah. Oh, it occurred to me that if we'd done this a bit earlier, then we could have flagged up the Oculus price cut alongside like the Prime Day thing, so that maybe somebody yeah. could have actually used the saving to trick out their computer to actually run the damn thing. Yeah. Otherwise, you've just basically bought yourself an expensive headband. <laughs> mm. What have we been playing this week beyond the realms of? virtual reality i've been playing hollow knight hmm. which is a beautiful hand animated sort of hand drawn <laughs> <laughs> got, microphone microphone got away from there. <laughs> um uh i guess you'd call it a metroidvania with heavy dark souls inspirations mm. that is to say it's a two-dimensional platforming and fighting game where uh many routes are locked off by abilities you are yet to unlock yourself and as you go through over the course of it seems like about 50 hours it's enormous uh that you gain like the jumping powers and the door unlocking powers that are required to access the outermost areas where the most dangerous enemies are and the best loot is uh until you get to the end so it's very much um uh like castlevania style but with dark souls mechanics such as you uh when you kill enemies you pick up like little weird coins and then when you die uh you lose them, except you can go back to the point where you died. Uh, and when you get there, you find an evil ghost of yourself that floats around going, woo, uh, and you have to defeat it in combat, which I basically means that jerk. hitting it twice. And then you get all your, all your coins back. Um, so it's, which is, and you know, we're seeing more and more twists on that Dark Souls thing over mm. and over again. Well, the name seems like a pretty. Well, yeah, Hollow Knight is, yeah. a, is a Dark Souls phrase, like straight up. Yeah. Well, I wasn't sure whether it was that because the game itself, like a lot of the marketing stuff, because I think it was a Kickstarter. Right. Because it was Team Cherry, I think. Because I talked to them about the art style because it's so gorgeous. It's like this atmospheric insect inspired underground world, which mm. is so cool and so sort of um noirish and evocative and cool mm. um but i think that um the 
for me, Hollow Knight and the way that, like, the main character would stand with, like, his little, like, horns on his head and his, um, like, cape billowing behind him on the edge of a building or something or on the edge of a thing, Mm. a ledge. It just was Batman, you know? (laughs) And so I was like, oh, okay, do you mean knight like Dark Knight, but he's a Hollow Knight because he's, uh, I guess, a skeleton or something? There is a, there is a character, there is a, uh, a sort of, semi-religious icon called the hollow knight and you find eventually a, like a, a, a huge statue to him and that's one of the big mystery of the game huh. um and but spoilers th- then yeah perhaps <laughs> but not really it's quite hard to spoil because I, I, you don't know what's going on really at all uh, in the game but uh like the, the problem with the game i've had so far is that it takes so so long to open up and to even feel good to play um, so you're, you're playing this kind of awesome little dude with your, uh, it's called, they call it a nail, but it's like a tiny little sword that you use to, uh, use your basic attacks to kill things, but you don't have any other abilities at all to, uh, in the, the start of the game. And it feels like you're really like underfeatured, like you can't like jump off walls or mantle or do anything. Um, you, you have no missile attack. So you go through for about three or four hours. It's grueling. It's really grueling. Unnecessarily so, I think, actually. Um, because I don't think that the repetition of going back to bosses all the time really, um, really feels as good in a 2D game. Even though the art is really, really beautiful. It's not like as, it's not as kind of intellectually interesting to map the place out in your mind as Dark Souls, for example, where you're building this three-dimensional map in your mind, then it kind of becomes this place you're almost using real-world navigational skills to to get your bearings there. Whereas in a 2D game, it's so like that abstraction is means that like traversal is less interesting when you don't have the the 2D kind of jumping mechanics that like feel good. So uh, I don't know, express that quite poorly. I mean to say basically that you feel it doesn't feel like a good game. Mm. until four hours in when you've gotten some very basic dash moves and jump moves and then it feels fucking amazing it's really tight there's mm. genuinely good combat in it um especially when the enemy types get more interesting um but don't be fooled by the first few hours because it, it's a, it is a much better game than that it feels like a very bland platformer to actually play mm. at, at the start even though the art is beautiful and um what i love so much about the art is that its color palette is so so limited like it's really careful just to be about like dark greys and dark blues and almost like dark greens sometimes. And it, but it creates so many different, the areas feel so different even within that kind of constraint. And there's an amazing bit half, like after five hours where you go to like, um, a, a place that used to be inhabited, like kind of city. And it's absolutely beautiful. Like it's, it's raining underground, it's torrents of rain coming down against glass and all this kind of art nouveau, um, ironwork. Uh, it's, it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I almost gave up. I almost gave up after a couple of hours thinking that it was, it was a lot worse than it was. And mm. um, so I think go into it. If you like that sort of game, if you like Axiom Verge or Castlevania or any of those games, this is an absolute must play. Um, and then give it three hours that it needs to get better, I think. So that's really interesting because I did play it a fair bit um, quite a while ago and it might have been in a slightly different state, I guess. I can't remember when I got the build, whether it was pre or post release. Um, and I remembered like all of the stuff from the art feature being like, oh, that was so cool. That was so interesting. And I had that experience of feeling oh, okay, well, this is really punishing and I can't really do much with my character and the areas are gorgeous, but I don't think I have the energy and the wherewithal to actually get any further, I guess, like this. And so 
I, I probably took a lot longer than you did to get through that first bit and so I tapped out before I managed it because I was like mm. look I've died for the umpteenth time I can't be bothered to go back and get my stuff I think I'll just call it quits yeah. and see mm. what else is out there which is a shame because mm. it sounds like maybe if they tweaked that initial curve of how things unlock or the rate at which you can access them then it would open up a lot sooner yeah for sure I, uh, and it's hard for them to change it because access to areas is gated by the fact that you can jump off walls for example so they can't just give you that power on the outset though i think now if you're playing a 2d game you expect that you just mm. people expect that basic degree of maneuverability from a two-dimensional character and a dash move like again it's just you feel the lack of it so intensely when the game starts and you go on for hours and hours and eventually you find a thing that lets you do it and then the game immediately feels good it, like the it's very well designed in terms of movement in terms of responsiveness it's just you don't you're not going to feel any of that until you've gotten those basic moves mm. uh, and it's kind of I for what purpose i wonder like why establish this grueling atmosphere it's not quite the same as dark souls in that way it's, it's, you know the we're going to see lots of people copying Dark Souls and they have the past few years. But the, the, the thing you don't want to copy about Dark Souls is how fucking inaccessible it is and how alienating it is to new players. Because mm. mm. that is a, that is a flaw in Dark Souls, I would say. Like, that is just straight up some bad design in terms of getting people on board with that thing. Like, I had to throw myself at Dark Souls like four or five times before I actually eventually got into it. And when I did, I was glad. And it opened up this amazing game for me. Um, but there's... Like the the barriers they put in my way didn't add to the experience. I don't mm. think they could have just told me how you know souls worked and how you know some weapons worked, how elemental damage worked, just basic things like that. You know, mm. feels like like but even with its fundamental elements, Dark Souls has quite a strong combat system. Mm. Like even with the vocabulary you have at the beginning of the game, very true. Yeah. You have you know parries and special attacks. You have skillful things you can do to make the game easier. You can meaningfully learn quite a lot of skills in your first. If you were the like, if you were the the fastest learner in the world, you could probably learn like almost everything you need to know about how to beat all of Dark Souls mm. with just the mechanics that are available at the start of the game. Which certainly bears true because people have beaten the game on like the level one bro yeah. playthroughs and mm. just with fists only playthroughs. Like definitely, it's definitely true. Whereas it sounds like Hollow Knight requires you to be given extra stuff before that really becomes the case, right? Like, yeah, and well, even to become fun. Maybe that's the 2D side of things again. Like mm. you said, it's that thing where in a 3D space, there's a lot more like room for finessing. There's a lot more room for um, making single moves really work for you and mm. really figuring that stuff out. Whereas in a 2D game, it's maybe there's like a, a timing element, but it's still you're only controlling that one button really it's not about how you're positioning relative to a bunch of other stuff in a 3d environment you know uh, yeah and in fact without a dash move and without like those extra maneuverability upgrades it's actually a 1d game mm. because you're mm. either moving forwards or you're moving backwards and that's just a, not an interesting <laughs> yeah yeah it's not an interesting interaction right it'd be like mm. if you know after you beat i don't know like the Taurus demon in Dark Souls, mm. you get like a little pop-up comes up and says, you've found the roll cube. You can do forward rolls now. Right. And suddenly the game opens up. Yeah, yeah. Where that would kind of be crazy, right? Like mm. you, you need to have all of the systems straight away and be learning them. Yes. For it to, because you're not building any knowledge about how to play the game for the first three or four hours of the game. Because yeah. just moving forwards and backwards and going up and down with a basic jump isn't teaching you skills that you're going to use to defeat bosses and the 
very challenging enemies in the future. And I would say though, like, um, for once you actually get those skills, it's, it's awesome. It's really, really strong. Like I've had some really exciting combat encounters with like floating mages throwing fireballs and stuff and dodging between them and getting the one, the odd hit in here and there until they explode into a shower of kind of coins. Those little moments of victory and, uh, satisfying moments yeah. that, that really mm-hmm. do feel a bit more like Dark Souls and do feel more like, uh, like a, a Castlevania with great, great combat. Um, you finished it. No, I'm, I'm about seven hours in now. Okay. And I'm starting to get little threads of the story. Which it does feed in. And there are some really nice characters you meet along the way. There are loads of secrets in it as well, which I love about, um, Axiom Verge and those games where, like, you'll hit a random wall while you're beating up a, a kind of treasure chest to get the stuff out of it. And it'll open up a new area. Go down there and you just find, like, an enormous bug that's scavenging stuff from the, the surroundings. And it, it, you know, they ask you for money for food. Like, you say, give me money, I'll give you food. And you don't know what that food is to this bug or whether <laughs> it will ever be used to you. Um, so like it gives you loads of little hooks like that all the time until like, there's about half a dozen characters just dotted around the map i don't know what they're for yet yeah. but i'm really curious about mm. it and kind of keep bearing that in mind i'm always like tempted to get a notebook out start noting down these locations and stuff i need to go back to and, and that's really really nice and that's a, a sign of where that metrovania design is really good uh at giving you like little secrets little ways around stuff yeah. Their sketchbooks were amazing. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. They sent me imagine. actual, like, photos of their sketchbooks oh, rather cool. than just, like, works in progress and stuff. Oh, it man, was so awesome. cool. Yeah, their their character designs are badass. And, like, there's... um, yeah, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but they're, they're, they're really, really cool. You meet some awesome warriors. Like, it's something really badass about who you are. Like, when you um go... There's a, a boss room, and it's just these three kind of uh, warriors on these tall plinths, and there's just a prompt to challenge... And if you press the challenge button, your character spins around away from the camera and unsheaths his sword. And then like the first boss comes down. There's a real sense of cool style mm. to it and like swordsmanship. <laughs> and uh, even though these little bug characters are really cute, they, they give them this sense of kind of, uh, badass, like Pip was saying that Batman thing, right? Of mm. just got really rich internal lives. It feels like yeah. they're actually looking at a little world. Mm. Mm. Which is, yeah, really beautifully done. It's really beautifully done. I, I have a feeling it might be amazing. I mean, um, our review came in and our review gave it like 92. And I was like, initially I saw that, I was like, what? <laughs> and now I'm starting to see that actually it might just get over that 90s barrier. Like once you're actually into it and, and doing stuff. Mm. So I, I really want to get as far into it as I can now. Um, oh. So that's Hollow Knight. Um, the beautiful, beautiful game. Rad. Mm. That sounds great. So. What have you been up to, Pip? Well, mm. I have been... I think I've been nesting in <laughs> games. So I uh I started off by thinking, oh, I'll try uh I'll try No Man's Sky again. I'll put a new save file in and I will try and actually treat it as a a story and as a exploration thing where I build a base and try and actually figure all that stuff out rather than just skipping from planet to planet looking for photo opportunities and weird creatures because that's how I ended up defaulting to playing it and I wanted to see if um if playing it the other way especially since they've added a bunch of updates you know they've got like on planet craft and they've got all of the base building stuff Mm. um i thought i would see whether that had added a different (laughs) experience that i could have and that i would enjoy um so i sat down uh with all those intentions and then i took so much time to 
you know, even just get my hyperdrive up and running just because I'd forgotten how um, how that works at first. So there was a lot of faffing. Um, so it took me quite a while to get to that point. And in that interim, I then got distracted taking some screenshots and collecting videos of stupid characters and doing my usual thing. So um, I thought, okay, well, I clearly have a, a type in that game of, of playthrough. So I booted up something different, which was Slime Rancher. Mm. Um, have we talked about that on the podcast no. before? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I talked about it on the RPS podcast earlier today. So I don't, I'm hoping that people, if they listen to both, um, would forgive me for repeating stuff i guess but maybe you guys will have different questions or hmm. you know it would be a different type of discussion um we'll have better questions <laughs> stupid adam and brendan silly brendy <laughs> um <laughs> that's me throwing down the gentlest glove <laughs> it's not even a gauntlet it's a mitt yeah <laughs> Mittens at dawn, slapping the back slap across the face with the mitt. Yeah, Classic. and then it will come back because it's elasticated through your sleeves so they don't get lost. Classic Crank Crowbar throwdown. Yeah. yeah, throw down, ping up. It's fine. Um, Me and Adam had a dance off on a rooftop in Vegas. And it was one of the most magical moments of my life. I think that got recorded. Didn't it, it did. Someone, someone, somewhere, a PR for a games company I'm not going to mention has a video of me and Adam also doing the entire Ghostbusters dance walk. Oh my god! It was again one of the greatest nights of my life. <laughs> that's that's the that's that is how serious this throwdown is. Uh, that you dance together on indeed. camera. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, I'm nice excited. to know this rivalry is going well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so um, Slime Rancher is essentially a game where you are running a little farm. It doesn't feel quite like base building because the plots that you can carve out are actually predefined it's more about what you choose to slot into them as you build and open up new areas to have more spaces um but what you're doing is you're going out into this world this alien landscape collecting slimes that you find which are these bouncy little creatures that look like just really um willful bouncy balls collecting them in your little vacuum tank thing and then spitting them out into little pens back in your ranch and then just feeding them so that they poop and you can collect their poop and sell it on the poop exchange <laughs> so and what's the poop called and it has a good plot. name plot <laughs> plot plot prices may go up as well as down <laughs> Um, so there's like this fluctuating currency element to take into consideration. And mm. so, um, when you have, and I think that it's part, at least partly influenced by what you've been doing. So if you've fed it a lot of a particular thing, like if you've been selling a lot of something, the price from that will go down. Classic supply and demand, well, exactly. he said. Um, and so, but there are other things where it's generally worth more anyway, but, you know, you might want to hold off for a couple of days and see whether the price goes up even more if you want to, you know, maximize your chances of being able to open up that new area or whatever mm. else. Um, and so, yeah, and then the, with the little spaces, you can make them into either like these little holding pens where the, um, slimes can live and 
have fun and eat and whatever and poop um or you can make them into like allotment kind of areas so you can grow the food so you don't have to go out and forage you can just have it on tap and you can make a little pond if you found the ones that live in water or you can make a chicken coop and start breeding chickens so that you can feed the ones that like meat instead of vegetables and fruit you know it's that kind of um ecosystem and you can start automating a bit of the processes so it feeds Mm. them you know for you while you're not there as long as you've stocked up and you can make it like vacuum the poop up for you you know that kind of um all of the all of the main things when it comes to you know looking after pets um, so yeah and there's some really cute you know slimes that you can find there's like a little cat one and you know the little the little chickens they're so cute it sounds gross <laughs> they're very is it cute. cute yeah is it so it's kind of an adorable so thing. yeah its whole thing is essentially it revolves around how adorable the slimes are and how sort of i think the the best way that i can think of trying to manage them and keep them in their pens is it's like chasing a two-year-old at bath time right. it's like oh for god's sake like how have you managed to get out of the bath come back um and like chasing them around the house and but they're being really cute and you're like oh i can't be mad they look like sort of back. like sentient emojis oh I <laughs> that shit themselves yeah, okay this sounds kind of cool um, yeah and then but sometimes if you leave one like one of my pink slimes got into the um cat slime um the tabby slime pen and so i didn't realize this until then but when they eat a poop of a different kind they turn into this really big slime that is a combo of both of the previous ones so you suddenly got this enormous (laughs) pink cat slime and then because i'd been away for a little while from my farm while i went and did something else um by the time i came back that whole pen was like heaving with all of these you know enormous cat slimes and then obviously i couldn't (laughs) so the bonus of those bigger slimes is that they then start pooping out both types of poop so you'd get the tabby poop but you'd also get the pink poop that you could sell unfathomable riches exactly (laughs) and so you could like you could definitely use that to save on space and to maximize resources (laughs) and things but also they take up more space so at that point with that particular scenario suddenly all of the tabbies were about twice or you know four times their size and so no longer fit happily in the pen and then they started getting really hungry and i didn't have enough chickens to feed them and so i ended up incinerating (laughs) Oh my god! Because they looked really sad. (laughs) But you don't incinerate people when they look sad. (laughs) Pip does. (laughs) Watching you play this has been an insight into your very specific set of things that make you sad or not. Like, because when I first saw you were playing, you were genuinely a little bit upset or had been a bit upset because there are enemy slimes, aren't there? Like. like so what it slimes. is, is if one of those big slimes then eats a poop that isn't from either of the things it's made up from, it turns evil and starts, uh, it becomes a tar. Stay in your lane, tabby this, slime. <laughs> which is kind of this like weird, glowing, evil ghost mess of a slime covered in like tar and it eats all of the rest of them and i didn't realize what it was at first i thought they were like maybe alien invaders that i would somehow need to chase off but it turns out they're obviously they come from within um 
but they decimated my farm the first time it happened because I mm. didn't know how to combat them either. It turns out that you need to um, fire water at them or incinerate them, but or, you know, basically deal with the problem. <laughs> right, the two solutions. But you were you were genuinely upset, like not yeah, just my not, farm. I know, but like not just in a not just in a oh this has set me back or it was like you had you were having a nice time building your little farm. And you hadn't included the possibility of actual loss. Yeah. Like you'd started to get attached to those specific slimes. That's my farm. Exactly. <laughs> and so their loss was genuinely upsetting. Yeah. And, so and also a- it's quite gruesome. Like they're like sliming around, you know, like the evil ones, like, you know, and they're really like getting in there amongst all of your cool slimes and they're eating them and destroying them and leaving their horrible trails everywhere. It's really upsetting. Yeah. But then, and so then I, you know, and then I came back like the next day or something and you were playing it again and you were showing me around. Like this is my this is this and this is that and this is this is where the the puddle slimes are and they're cute and this is the tabby slimes and you know just that like a few of the tabby slimes were sick which they expressed by having like they have sad faces sort of like drooling but it looks like I my, thought it was drooling blood it looks like it's yeah. drooling blood it's like oh, red drips from the corner of the mouth they are red so I don't know if it's just the same color as they are yeah um, no I don't think so because it happens when they're the little tabby ones as well. right mm. um, and so you just sort of like bloop scoop them out of the of the pen and you know we've said incinerated but it's not literally like you just set them on fire or something it's like there's a huge like what looks like a kind of plutonium rod in the in the thing which is like a kind of burning fire i built rock. that yeah i'm sure you did <laughs> and you just sort of shot them into it and i thought oh maybe that's the get better stick and yeah. then they just no. go and they're gone and it's like Gee- jesus but i guess my question is why isn't that as upsetting yeah as losing your slimes to the evil slimes. I don't know. It was fine though. Like, <laughs> I, I think, I don't know. Maybe because I was annoyed with them at the time, you know, like they because were making they... demands of me and I was, I felt under pressure and there weren't enough chickens to go around. And quite honestly, like they were really annoying by that point and they were less cute when they were big. <laughs> like, when, they, when they get sad, you should just, Set up a support network. <laughs> hey! <laughs> Got to feed the capitalist economy. Way! Oh wow, he's firing on all cylinders. Yeah, that's, that's the end. I'm done. Yeah, sorry. Okay. That sounds um, it sounds it sounds horrific. I'll be honest. I mean, like I understand. I can imagine it being cute in my head, but yeah. uh, it sounds like you have to make. Sounds like you, you've enslaved these poor creatures. That's to... what Brandy and Adam said. They said that it sounded more nightmarish than anything they'd done <laughs> yeah. that week in actual sort of combat games or, you know, all of this other stuff. Because they rely like, on you. Oh. They presumably look up to you. Is there, is there a kind of like slime culture? Is there any sort of, they have behaviour? They mostly think... bounce and smile so and poo. So I think uh, uh, what makes it like less uh, problematic is that you're not, for me, I'm not rearing them. It's not like I'm breeding them. <laughs> You're kidnapping and... them. So yeah. I would probably feel sadder about the chickens because with them, they actually, you put a rooster in with some hens and you get, you actually get little chickens, like mm. li- little chicks that then grow up. And That's the how that works. But, and the roosters can age. So you need to sort of make sure. Go find you... new ones. Well, exactly. But. <laughs> But so there isn't really any element of that with the slimes that I've found mm. at all. It really is just they are that format and there's not. But also um you can go out and find more of them 
like they just sort of ping into the areas you know like they'll fall out of trees or they'll come out of the ground or you know they they replenish so much that it doesn't feel like doesn't feel like it matters <laughs> well no i mean and they don't feel like they are actual creatures in some ways like mm. they're fun interactable objects but they don't feel um meaningful in that respect they're not lives mm. in the way that the game works it's a lot of human nature going on here that's a classic <laughs> response to overpopulation though isn't it that like after a certain point individual beings just become you know whatever it was not inter- barely interactive biomass <laughs> biomass to be they, expended in the right. machine <laughs> but they don't um, <laughs> the poop machine but they don't uh exhibit enough um different behaviors if you see what i mean there's happy sad not from your perspective <laughs> you don't understand anything about them <laughs> so you're saying but, they're like vegetables almost they're just kind of in just inane all you care about is what they need to consume to keep producing the poo you require oh my god um yeah well poo. if you're gonna be like that then yes <laughs> <laughs> but i you do you see what i mean though uh, as in they act more as i don't know bunches of flowers that could wilt or could look nice you know then they're not um they're not like pets it's not like having a pet that you are looking after and thus feel sad it's not like you're cultivating Mm. it doesn't feel like you have a particular investment they are mm. just objects that produce other objects investment what a curious word <laughs> oh my god why are i'm you... just i'm this close to burning my my own poo as a form of kind of solidarity protest while i would say humming I, the internationale i think i was wrong Galio. it sounds more like a poodleist system than anything <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh Tom, dear. that's that's that's, that's pretty that's pretty bottom good of the barrel. it's amazing how a good pun feels like having a very satisfying poo as well it, it like, does it? I yeah agree with that, <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, often at someone else's expense. But that means Pip's going to either incinerate me or enslave me as a kind of, you know, production Yeah, for as long as, unit. as long as it depends on which direction, depends on the supply and demand. Right? I appreciate right. that you are just deliberately making me feel like I'm probably a jerk. But like, do you get the distinction that I'm making and why I'm not upset by this? Me, the person who can get upset over a phone commercial. But you did get upset by this. No, I was upset about the um, the random incursion of a predator, right? Mm. That I didn't understand and couldn't chase out of my ordered system. That's... What? Presumably the loss of stock. That was, that was a setback. Yeah. You drove your little sure. Monopoly car. Fine. Like, but, I mean, it's like coming home and finding a fire, you know? We could replace all of your things. You'd be upset about it, wouldn't you? Right. So I won't set fire to your things. Thank you. <laughs> or you. Or your poo. Chris comes home one day to find a giant glowing neon incinerator device <laughs> in the kitchen. Let that be a warning sign. <laughs> Look happy. <laughs> Don't get sick. <laughs> yeah, I've got no bedside manner either. So I do feel like we've been giving you the third degree. Oh! oh. <laughs> Right, you know how I do have absolutely no bedside manner and I'm really bad with when you're ill? Yeah. I have absolutely no <laughs> just, reason I'll wake to up. make you feel better. I'll sneeze one day because of my hay fever or something and I'll just open yeah. my eyes and there you'll be with a lighter. Pillow. <laughs> oh <my> God. <laughs> Time for you to, to be with your, I don't know, tabby friends. <laughs> you're going to be like that. 
Ah, good. Well, any good um, games discussion? I bet. I bet the RPS podcast didn't have that. Someone threatening to kill me. That's <laughs> what every Did podcast it? needs. Yeah, a death threat directed at Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're always close. <laughs> <laughs> we never quite got there, but we did this episode, so that's that's. I mean, I can introduce nothing, that as a special. feature next week. <laughs> well, that's where the grudges have been trending. So <laughs> nice. Sure. What have you been playing? So, um, unfortunately, I think I've been playing stuff that we've discussed before. So, I mean, this is partly my fault because... Oh, well, you're boring then. Let's move on. Uh, no, no. Not, not the end of the dinner, right? Uh, well, I do have some things to say, if you don't mind. Uh, I don't know. You've been so nice to me. I was thinking about the slimes. <sighs> you couldn't even be bothered to learn what their poop was called. The pooletariat. <sighs> What have you been playing? Um, sorry, I was I was brain workshopping a like seizing the means of production joke, but I, uh, we're done. We're, we're done, aren't we? We're done. Um, so, well, the reasons that I haven't played much of that is new to the pod is because one, I got drawn into horizon zero dawn so i wanted to give a little shout out to tom francis um impromptu solo deep dive on that game that he did for us during gdc oh yeah um because that game's this is a, it's a playstation game so i'm not going to dwell too much on it but it's fucking great really 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 like it it's been the first or among the first triple a games this year to really make me go wow in that particular way <laughs> um apart from zelda but in a similar way um the other reason is because every time I think about playing a computer game, I go, if at that time I could play Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Plunk Bag, mm. as it's also known. I've spoken about multiplications. I have really nothing to add except it's extremely compelling for reasons I don't quite understand. I just want to play it now, really. Nice way to spend time with friends. Nice way to spend time by yourself. Sometimes deeply frustrating, but it doesn't matter because you can just play it again and have the same experience again, which doesn't make any sense. And yet. Yeah, I'm quite surprised it's had that longevity, especially, I mean, I was, you know, lording Titanfall 2 and loved it, but I only played it for two weeks and then that was the end of it. And it feels like this has more. Yeah, I feel like it'll always, I think it's a, well, um, I think it is a, it's a good solo game and it'll get better. It gets better every time they add stuff and every time you play it is different and there's a good, good metrics to have um or good strengths to have um metrics is a very business busy word businessy word um yes god forbid we ever use business words inventory stock indeed uh well <laughs> we just got to we've got to rehumanize our language i feel else we become some kind of monster so the um, process of converting pink slimes in to you know like you feed them and then they poop that's one in the pink and one in the stink you see <laughs> that's a useful phrase <laughs> anyway you see, were saying like, about plug bag like pit worked in it for longer but i feel like the results yielded more <laughs> which is uh, surely is a sign of your what you've learned playing this incredibly exploitative slime game that you talk about. <laughs> well, I mean, presumably that actually demonstrates a lack of, because I mean, an ideal result would be to put in almost no effort for maximum yield. Mm, that's true. Right. Yeah, it's not about biding your time. Yeah, mm. it's not all about, it's not, you know, it's extraction. not about expertise. It's artisanal poo puns here. <laughs> Although that is, it's it functions in four years of this modern podcast. Yeah. Artisanal. Uh, <laughs> 
What? That was quicker. That was, that good. was quicker. That was good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, it's more like it. That's more productive. Which is all that matters in this world now. Yeah. Optimized. Now do it again. Yes. Faster. Efficiency Boom. bonuses. Yeah. <laughs> For the people in sales. No. Oh. Um, what was I talking about? Um, Plunk so, back. Plunk back. So, um, but the thing about it, I think the reason it has a lot of longevity is it's, uh, and I may have said this about it when I first talked about it on the podcast, but it's, it fits a very specific, it's a very specific kind of social experience, which is absolutely perfect to play. <laughs> I almost said something really dumb. It's perfect to play with friend. Um, great for playing with friend, but specifically it's not like you can't really jump into like a game of Titanfall as brilliant as that game is with a friend to catch up because hmm. your conversation is going to predominantly be about robots and flags and cooldowns and gun fights. Um, and all the other words that are in Titanfall 2. You can, however, just kind of play Plunk Bag as a player on Battlegrounds, as a, like, a go, going for a walk with murderers. It's a background game in yeah. some way. Walking with murderers. That's what I'd call it. Uh, <laughs> BBC's Walking with Murderers. Um, <laughs> And like that's Sam Neil, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Walking around with a cold, dead stare, yeah, exactly. Driving a a UA a UAZ Jeep off a cliff and doing a sick flip, um, like it to some extent, it feels a bit like oh, there's Dota in that regard. Like in a group, it's fun, and then duos are really nice. Like hmm. there's a, it's weird you don't you don't often spend like a lot of time like just having like a long conversation. With a mate, like I, I don't. Well, maybe maybe I'm talking more about myself there, but like that's an experience I don't have like all the time. Sometimes it's just nice to just like have a chat mm. about whatever for a bit, and it's really nice for that. It's just nice to kind of go for a walk, and then eventually your walk is going to be cut short by like, Shh, did you hear that? It was a jeep over in the distance, and maybe we need to gunfight some murderers because <laughs> we also are murderers. Um, but that notwithstanding, it's just a really nice way to spend time. So that's good. Mm. I wonder whether some of it is because um, it's also possible to play in ways that aren't... I mean, it, so you can play and try and win by being good at shooting, but you can also play and try and get further by being good at hiding. And so I've been wondering whether that actually helps in terms of just being a play style that, mm. you know, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily demand that both of you or all of you be great at actual headshots or whatever else, which is where mm. some problems can crawl in when you've got, I don't know, Counter-Strike as your game du jour or Titanfall, you know, if you're not all on the same skill when it comes to actually aiming and shooting, mm. then, you know, it can that can really hamper one person because they spend most of the time dead and feeling a bit guilty and, you know, all of that yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's... it's, it's um... It has a lot of range. Like, mm. there's a lot of different ways of, of en engaging with it, and that I think gives it breadth as well. Mm. Um, so it's got a lot of downtime in a way. But yes. I'm surprised that the downtime feels interesting, like mm. the, the hundredth time you do it. Is, well, I was, I, I was saying this to, um, friend Pete Viennia from, from Discord, because we were playing it quite a lot. Spent a lot of that time just talking about Warhammer. Yeah. Um, well, that surprises me not. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, we were talking about, and I pointed out that, like sometimes you're playing sometimes it is a game where you spend 25 minutes walking the countryside very lovely looking countryside but nonetheless 
raiding the same houses over and over again or templated houses looking for guns and scopes and health kits and stocking up trying to get your ideal weapon configuration whatever it is that you particularly like and then you have one gunfight and it's over and there are many video games that allow you to have a gunfight immediately right you know what i mean and there's a question of like if you had the mode where it just started with 10 people remain go Hmm. would you play that but actually i think the amount of downtime is in a way almost like a bonus because it's all really absorbing and there's so many sort of like different situations that can come out of that and different things to respond to in like it's an orienteering game to some extent like there's a lot of the lot of the a lot of its best mechanics are about not just shooting but like geographical awareness i think this does take us into territory that i haven't really discussed on the podcast like why it's good like when the game begins like because i feel like that's the side of the game that i'm best at at the moment like my one win was entirely down to like decent planning of where i was going to go rather than like especially good gunsmanship um like um and the beginning of the game the plane that drops everybody you can choose when you parachute out of it uh cuts a particular axis across the island and remembering that axis gives you like an interesting set of probabilities so the probability of you finding people in the towns that are along that axis are extremely high because it hits these lots of interesting kind of human human data points <laughs> like people are there's a sub there's a certain number of people who are extremely impatient and I don't know why they're playing this game, because if they wanted to shoot people, there are many games that will get them to that a lot faster. But for whatever reason, they're playing Plunk Bag. And they will be hammering the eject key the soon the moment the plane appears, and they will drop out of it the moment you're allowed to. Mm. And they will head straight down so they drop as fast as possible, and they will land directly below. Like if you watch people leave the plane at the start, there's always like 10, 15 people who just go straight away because they cannot wait and they will not wait. And sometimes that's a decent place to go because it's chaos and you might come out on top of that. Mm. Um, other times, and then you'll see people uh, open their parachutes early to try and get further across the map away from the plane. Um, you People go straight down onto areas that are known to be good for loot. And there's all this sort of strategic decision-making that is completely randomized by a very simple thing, which is what angle does the plane take? And there are, there's almost, you know, not infinite variety, but there's, huge amounts of variety because it's not just it doesn't always it's not like the plane always crosses the center of the island either it's not like it's a 360 degrees and it's always going to go some direction sometimes it'll just like slice down the side of the map at a really fucking weird angle oh, so it's semi-randomized it's, it's completely randomized oh, like it's yeah. just like which, which direction the plane takes is totally oh, randomized cool. as is the weather and the time of day and things like that yeah, so yeah. there's an element of like each game feels slightly different but like you've also as soon as you see which direction the plane's going you've got to a make a decision often with your team like where are we going and then you've also got to decide, um, like, so where are we going? And then you've got to remember where was the plane going? Because hmm. after you've, you know, say you drop somewhere no one else has dropped. So there's no combat initially. You just loot some buildings. And you've got to decide where you're going next. Also, when everyone's landed, that'll define the first circle. And then you've got like four minutes before the map shrinks to that circle or the, the bad blue force field comes in. So you have the map you start with and the particular way it's been divided. Then you have the map that it's now going to generate for you, which is random. And then the circle within that, which is randomly placed. And then the circle within that, that is randomly placed. And so it's constantly changing in a way that it'll never change the same way twice. 
But over time, you learn to play the odds with certain things. There are certain ways across the map that are harder than others. Or, well, I say harder, like, it's just moving. But where you learn over time, like, I really don't like going from north to south in this particular area because you've got to cross a couple of rivers and the bridges are an obvious choke point and swimming makes you vulnerable. So if there's a danger that the circle's going to end up on the other side of the river from where I am, maybe I go there early, that kind of thing, and start yeah. making all these different strategic decisions. There's a big southern island that's connected by two bridges to the mainland. And when the first big circle forms, if like it's 50-50 on both, that's a, like a really interesting call. Like mm. uh, me and uh, Fee almost won a game based on basically a very early decision when we saw that there was a chance that it would end up on the southern island to steal a boat and go to the southern island straight away and spend the entire game there seeing nobody at all, but ended up coming at the final circle from the opposite angle to everybody else because of an early strategic decision so there's loads of stuff like that that's actually quite involved like it's not just loot the things shoot the men hope you get lucky you know Mm. it's sort of and because those things are all uh randomized in a very analog way it's initially on what axis is the map divided by the plane and then later it's where do the circles form and what kind of terrain features do they include when they shrink um, it's, there's a big difference between the final circle being a cornfield and it being a city and it being a hilltop or it being half of a cliff and the ground next to that cliff. Yeah. That it almost feels like a kind of, um, very sophisticated random firefight generator, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's a really good way of getting a lot of, uh, use out of one map. Yeah. And there are good about another one too. I mean, that's... yeah, you get a lot of game out of it, if you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I think, smart. that's why I think the downtime never really feels like if, if the map always shrank in the same way, hmm. you'd probably learn routes and then the downtime would be boring because it's like you'd have a plan. You'd know that each game was going to involve optimally 20 minutes or always exactly the same. Like this building, this building, this building, this building. Hmm. Whereas even though it's one map, it's always different because there's never going to be an optimal route. Well, there will be, but you'll never find it. Like, you, you never know which buildings have the good loot in them. Yeah. That kind of thing. Like, sometimes a, a gun you find at the beginning will substantially determine how you choose to play. Mm. Like, you know, if you get really lucky and one of the cargo drops comes down on top of you at the beginning and gives you, like, the best sniper weapon in the game, that that is how you're playing now. Because that's what the, the god of random number generators said. Mm. That stuff. I know. It is genuinely a great game. Like, a, you know. That's why I keep finding it compelling because you want to roll the dice and, yeah. and just see what the next adventure is, basically. Um, the other game I quickly wanted to mention, uh, so uh, John Roberts talked about it on the last podcast, which is Zombie Night Terror, which is Zombie Lemmings, basically. Mm. Um, he talked about it in detail on the last podcast, so I won't go into too much detail, but it's, it's yeah, it's beautifully animated, uh, sort of schlocky horror cinema-inspired zombie lemmings. Um where you are sort of directing a zombie horde to try and usually kill everybody in a level or break through containment in a particular level during a zombie apocalypse that you're kind of orchestrating with lots of sort of lemming style role changes for your zombies and things. It's really good. And I thought I'd, I'd, I said on the last pod that I, John's description of it made me want to play it. Yeah. I thought I'd follow up by saying that I did and it's great. Uh, and I definitely recommend it to people who feel like they would like that kind of puzzle game. However, it's made me realize something. And like, you know how people talk about having games spoiled for them because they are natural completionists and a a too big list of objectives or collectibles in an open world game can almost make that game unplayable because right. you feel compelled to do them all, even if it's not a fun experience. I have that a little bit with this, and it's because I think I'm a 
a compulsive hundred percenter of like difficulty levels when it comes to these things. So every every level in um, Zombie Night Terror has like an objective, which is usually pretty simple. Like usually get through the level or get get some zombies through the level, that kind of thing, mm-hmm. like Lemmings. And then a uh, a sort of a, an extra objective that gets you like the you know it's like the challenge mode kind of thing, which might be kill every human in the level. And my progress through it, through it has been very slow because I can't not do that. Like, ideally first time, but that has become the game. Like, I kind of ignore the actual objective, um, and just go for the, uh, for the challenge mode one. And because there are no, um, there are no mid-level, some of the levels are quite big. There are no mid-level saves. Um, and some things, some objectives, if you miss your opportunity to do them, you can't do them. So if you screw something up in the middle, you have to go back to the start and do it all again, which is often kind of like a painstakingly and by that point memorized sequence of things have to go perfectly. And it's also quite physics-y, uh, he said, using a real word. But that means that sometimes you, like, things can just not quite work. And it's usually down to something you did. Like, you were in control, so it's not, like, totally random. Hmm. But, like, I just finally beat a level that I wasn't letting myself go past because I was so determined to do challenge mode and i think i learned a lot about the game systems doing that but it was grueling and it did put me off a bit which is dumb because it's not the game's fault it's just i put myself off it because i was offered this thing yeah but i think my takeaway from it is i like having like star ratings for puzzles or or like different levels of completion for stuff in games but i think ideally for me the bonus like there seems to be different schools of thoughts about this some puzzle games will have it so that there's not a particular not a huge gulf between the just getting through the level difficulty and the also doing the extra challenge extra credits thing difficulty that they'll kind of um maintain roughly the same relationship with each other so it's a little bit extra you can do but it's not radically different um and then there are other games that treat the and i think zombie night terror fits into this category that treat this having this extra set of objectives as almost like uh, a bonus hard mode so it's almost like a different level if you try and do the super thing it's not like do a little bit more or do it a little bit more efficiently it's you have to almost approach the core puzzle of the level differently in order to solve some extra challenge that's also possible yeah which is valid but that i think is the one that i find the most frustrating because it can send the intended difficulty curve of the game screwy it sounds like that sort of thing would do better, certainly for you as a player, if it was a new game plus. Yeah. Like, so that would free you up to do the actual objectives of the game, and then it would present you with this harder layer once you'd finished that, that you could choose at what point you weren't having fun anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah most games present it as like a challenge mode. It's like a separate mode where it's not mm. actually, the objective mm. isn't hovering over you um, as you're trying to accomplish the the mission it's yeah. a separate thing you, you select at the start i mean admittedly like this is my fault like I, I feel compelled to play the game this way and i feel uncomfortable if i just do the normal objective even if that's the intended way to play mm. and i guess this is more of a sort of i imagine there are other people who feel this way so there's a little note of warning like i find that my perfectionist instincts get frustrated by this game rather than mm. even as i appreciate how how good it is because it is genuinely great like it was really really nicely designed little puzzle game lovely uh very good 
uh well i think i i picked it up at full price and i'm perfectly happy with that but it feels like a ideal steam cell pickup mm. in terms of like great little lunchtime game or something what's it called zombie zombie, zombie night terror zombie oh good i'll remember that yeah. <laughs> mm. um which makes more sense in the context of the game because mm. it is about like a schlocky b movie kind of coming to life kind of thing right um yeah, it's really nice and beautifully animated, as John said. And if, if John says it's beautiful 2D pixel animation then and art, then you you know it's true. Mm. But yeah, um, yeah, I would I would definitely recommend it, but maybe not if, like me, you for some reason must prove to the zombie game that you are you cannot be scared by a stupid objective that it's giving you. Shall we do questions? Yes. That bit gets more natural every time we do it. <laughs> Good job, everybody. Especially Tom, the only person to not mostly ruin that. I was sipping on my Cabernet Sauvignon. Mm, lovely. Very tasty. Is there any left? Uh, No. There's another bottle downstairs. It's fine. There's still time. It's fine. Okay. Bing. <clears throat> it's time for questions. Zed Fang writes, Have any games depicted menstruation? Yes. <laughs> not many, and not in terms of like, or as far as I know, in terms of actually sort of, uh, I don't know, first person type view of looking down at your pants or anything. But, um... Uh, one that I just looked up because I couldn't remember the name of it, um, was, I think it's called Exam Period and it's a, an interactive fiction thing over on Itch.io and, um, it's by a woman, uh, Chella Quint, I think, who, uh, she does a lot of period or menstruation related activism on Twitter and that's how I ended up following her in the first place, um, and uh it's just a not just but it's an interactive fiction uh thing about i think it's about being a uh trans man sitting an english exam but you happen to get your period that day and are trying to like navigate the all of the oh god i can't find a pad and then oh god but my exam is happening and now i can't like do anything about it so what do i do and i can feel that it's happening and that it's like going through my clothes and what do i do and you know all of that kind of stuff that just it's language and experiences i have never seen in relation to a game before mm. and as you might expect it's you know in the interactive fiction world and it's in the you know indie game very much in the indie game sort of bit and i think it was for the one day game jam um but the other place where i've seen periods crop up is in um bioshock infinite mm. which is so you know there's all of that creepy sort of documentation of elizabeth's life yeah there is one cabinet where it is sort of the the main focus is her menarche which is your first period it's your mm. entry into menstruation and so that was actually the 
only time I have seen periods mentioned or mentioned in a way that isn't one of those awful sort of misogynistic pop culture you know like mm. oh you PMSing or you know that yeah, kind yeah. of um way in a triple A game so mm. Mm. yeah good point so those two are things cool mm. <clears throat> next up Willoughby writes your favorite game which people has sorry hang on your favorite game which people have reviewed as bad but you still played and like it deadly premonition for me yeah i feel like i i should field this one as the person who goes on about liking 7 out of 10 6 out of 10 games and kind of finding things in them that i really like um i think part of it is that i think it's almost too much to expect any game to do everything well and I like to celebrate games that do one thing very well that I wish other games would just straight up copy or rip off. And uh, I like to think of uh, Darksiders, um, which is actually, in fact, I think Darksiders, Darksiders 2 particularly is probably an 8 out of 10. Like, it's actually legitimately really good uh, in many ways. But, like, if anyone wants to do just a light touch loot system where the player doesn't really have to concentrate too much on stat-heavy stuff but still feels like they're getting progression and they're getting cool new toys all the time Darksiders 2 is just a case study in how to do that almost perfectly like I wouldn't change its loot system at all you're getting like um, different types of scythes your player's death and uh, you're getting different types of weapons that kind of feel cool and look significantly different and feel more powerful and have different weapon effects on them and it does a lot of things really really well that it does it as well as if not better than even like Diablo and stuff Mm. Uh, and to see that in what is otherwise probably like a 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 game, just one exceptional trait, uh, I think that's worth picking out and celebrating in the hope that people will notice it almost and not just kind of throw out the whole game uh, and not take any of it uh, and for that entire game to be lost to history, even the stuff it did well, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a risk that people's fixation on 6 or 7 out of 10 as bad means that mm. games have to either be spectacular in every regard or yes. seem to be so mm. or are viewed as worthless. Yeah, I guess is exactly what you're saying, but like, exactly, yeah, like that's a, you know, those games aren't bad games. Like, if you do one thing exceptionally well, then they, there's there's no definition of bad that that fits. You know, it's just yeah, a good game. It's a drawback of the way areas. that stuff is rated in a way, like, and it's unavoidable. Mm. Um, but I think like what I often why when I write about these games and celebrate them, it's so that I can somehow reintroduce them back into hopefully people's imaginations and people's memory and mm. try and, you know, keep them alive. Kingdoms of Amalur, another great example of a game that actually streamlined MMO quest giving design into a single player game, which had just completely light touch combat and was not trying to be like a deep combat game. It was trying to be a really fun kind of, I described it at the time as being like a Sunday afternoon uh, romp through a very pretty world with some mm. cool story ideas. And that's as worthwhile a name as the Dark Souls or something like that, you know, that's trying to, perhaps be more literary and uh, it's still as good it's still as worth celebrating as anything else um so yeah i'm not sure if that answers the question but you know, that's kind of my take on it's not like specific uh, games yes yeah, so i suppose the question was specific games that were reviewed badly that as bad mm. i think we've we've taken from this the implicit sense that a lot of games are, are seen as bad because they're reviewed averagely which is a slightly yes. different understanding of how that yeah, works sure. um I would say that, uh, was it Deadly Premonition now? Mm. I would say that that's another one that falls into that same category, actually, because I don't, 
I, I think it was an amazing game, or generally it was received as an amazing game hampered by some real clunkiness and some absolutely terrible bugs. If, if I remember right, it, it, it ran the range from like 4 out of 10 to 7, I think. I don't think it got any great reviews, but... Yeah, but what I'm saying is... But in terms of how it was seen, then yeah, certainly. As in score-wise, sure, but in terms of the actual stuff that was happening within the game, like, it, for me, it has always felt like and has always been spoken of as a game that was one of those flawed Mm. but amazing in places things. So overall, that might average out at totally unplayable if you hit one of the absolutely dreadful bugs. Mm. Um, but it might also just be that, you know, because it's of so many extremes. Yeah, yeah. Which, you know, was, you know, when, uh, Vampire Bloodlines was released, that was mm. an absolute mess. Mm. And, yeah. you know, amazing, but also a complete mess that yeah. needed community intervention to even work. Mm. Yeah, low scores are associated with, like, crippling technical problems. Yeah. So it's very hard to, you know, take anything out of it if you just can't even play it which is the problem with vampire you know masquerade uh it's amazing that that has the kind of cultural cachet it does uh, given how the state (laughs) exists in without mods you know (laughs) it's all right now like i think yeah it's fine and it is i mean the important thing is it's still a brilliant game so like you know yeah i think um my opinions and my experience of uh, Deadly Prem might be massively coloured by the people that I hang out with, though, because I think I wasn't particularly part of the discourse when it released, apart from being with a bunch of people that actually enjoyed it as well mm. and, you know, just worked around the the bad elements. And me and Alice, don't make your pun... And the, m- no, Antonio Badalamentes. No. And that's then, the, that's the worst no. pun I have ever. I'm so sorry. And then in the, <laughs> I told you not to. And then in the interim, and up until now, it's m- my close friend Alice. It, uh, we are both like super into that game, and we'll sort of always mention it in RPS like best games of I don't know, like best games of 2017. It'll be in there because it's still a an amazing game and we would still recommend it you're so pleased with yourself I really am. you've made that pun before that's how i knew it was coming yeah i did I, that... it was on my review of the <laughs> pc port thank you <laughs> ruined you shouldn't it. use the same phrase again if you didn't want me to do that again Gosh. Ah. i don't know if it's a full moon or something that the, the pun game is appalling isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> appalling I slash yeah. strong <laughs> yeah i mean I, I apologize and also don't apologize at all <laughs> you don't feel it's a very sorry not sorry apology yeah, for sure, right now for sure <laughs> that's cool i think we answered that one yeah, yeah. i think we did Good. but to go back a question My... people genuinely should make more period games or games mm. that just incorporate the experience of having a period in where it is appropriate mm. yeah um yeah we should, like yeah <laughs> Like sometimes it's just not appropriate, or well, like you've just yeah, it wouldn't be a great focus for a game. It's like body reality is just on, just not a part of games. Like uh, yeah. it was interesting. We've got a question coming up which we like quickly previewed about armor and about like the reality it's next. Of in fact, moving a body around um, and actually existing in a body, like the, the realities of 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 
you know, inhabiting this weird, these weird fleshy sacks we're all in. So uh, not really, are kind of bypassed by games more. So here's the thing. So many games revel in including a toilet somewhere, right? To the point where Andy Kelly wrote that feature for you guys <laughs> mm. about it. Mm. But like, they, I have never seen a sanitary bin next to a toilet in a game. Hmm. What I was going to say as well is I think, like, I feel like, you know, simulation of periods within a game should come hand in hand with to- things you do in toilets in games. Like, toilets exist in games, but you do not use them. Like, your characters do not need mm. to use them. Yeah, weird. I think... Like, you don't... Like, you never need to do anything sort of bodily function related in a game, I right? I think you can forever has a bit where you're pissing into urinal and you aim it around, perhaps. Yeah, I think you can, like, waggle mm. it around and pee on things. Right? Yeah. Right. Um, but it's weird. But it's, it's a gag, right? Like, it's a one-off... It is, but it goes further than that. You can't, like, deliberately sit on someone's white sheets and just have a period and, like, <laughs> waggle your <laughs> bum around or something. But similarly, know? like, you don't need to poop. <laughs> I'm actually yes. doing the waggling. No, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. But what I'm sort of thinking is like, it's, yeah. So it's, this isn't to say that it isn't like represented, but pooping is or something. Mm. But I, I guess pooping kind of is in terms of it being used for comic effect sometimes. Or capitalism. Yeah, all right, <laughs> fine. But I guess what I'm saying is that like, there is no, like, it's interesting. I don't know whether it, like, I suspect, I, I suspect you'd be right to say that there's a additional level of sort of cultural self-censure when it comes to uh, women's bodily functions in addition to sort of sort of bodily functions in general. But games, even like hardcore survival games, seem to be slow to simulate any aspect of things human beings need to do regularly in that regard. Yeah, I mean, The Sims has, like, that bladder meter. Yes, that's true. But it doesn't have anything. But then, again, maybe that would be a problem in terms of it would make it a bit harder to then have a, take care of a female Sim if that was literally the only difference, and thus it might sort yeah. of go the other way in terms of just making the character less desirable to play with. And then that's kind of a frustrating I feel like The Sims, effect. The Sims is fascinatingly political in its apoliticalness mm. because it 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 does it exists at a point where every decision it makes is is politically charged because determining which aspects of real modern life to simulate and its desire i think to be fair and diverse and support a range of play styles and not mechanically punish anything that in in real life might actually make life harder for somebody in any regard it flattens society utterly like you can't be sick in, a, in or sims, disabled in the sims yeah you i was gonna say does no. the sims model disability no it doesn't at all um which is not to make any equivalences but it's to say that anything that would be like well you'd never play that because it's mechanically suboptimal all of it's mm. gone and everyone is sort of permanently sort of upper middle class with no way to drop below that like yeah y- you know or a rise of you can rise above it to an extent, but there's sort of like a flat level of society that everyone exists on. And like the poorest you get is like you eat the infinite supply of crisps that come out of your fridge and eventually you, you know, die in a house fire. Like there's like there's it's a it's a strange 
non-simulation you know in terms of the amount of stuff that it elides actually i think with that in mind like i imagine some developers gone well we can't simulate this because it will seem like we're making a statement but they are making a statement mm. Mm. there's a yeah. kind of like ken dollification to it as well mm. that sense of just um again like sort of deanimalizing us like uh everything that might be seen as being gross or too physical is pixelated and you know used for comic effect mm. And, but, you know, frankly, uh, you never see blokes having a wank in that game and pixelating that. You know, they just delete, like, parts yeah, of life yeah. from, from the game completely. But understandably, they're making a family game for, they want kids to buy, perhaps, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well. You can't have and, and I'm not saying characters sneaking away from it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting that games just aren't interested in showing or confronting people with any aspect of bodily, for ongoing bodily Even function. Even just, like, armpit hair, you know, stuff like that mm. tends to not get... Mm. Yeah, represent yeah. even if it's like a hardcore survival game where you wouldn't have access to a razor because you know you are in the middle of nowhere and don't have a razor. But it's it's kind of interesting, like the the I guess what we expect from games and what we don't, and what we actually even sort of need or want from them. Because the other thing is, like, as somebody who does have periods, God, they're awful. Like, I mean, I. I it, I kind of want them to be more part of everyday conversation. I don't want them to be stigmatized. And I think that that's a massive problem, especially in um, developing countries, like it's holding back uh, things like women's access to education and jobs and so many things. Um, but so I, it's not that I don't want them to be part of the conversation and things, but I also... Like, don't sit there feeling the urge to play through the experience of having a period. It's like, oh my god, why? Yeah. Like, I would happily expunge them from my own life. Yeah, it seems like so much of it's about glossing through the tedium of having to sustain a physical body. Like, that's why you don't have to sit there and t- spend 20 minutes eating a meal in a game or, you know, yeah. eight hours sleeping. Yeah, or, or like you know, getting out else. of a conversation with a neighbour who really wants to chat and you really want to go in <laughs> right. and do something yeah, else. You can't so just skip all that stuff. Your, I don't know, your, your time-roaming Mass Effect open world can't be abruptly curtailed because you <laughs> badly need a poo. Right. And you have to call in. But wouldn't it be amazing in. if you your character <laughs> could say that? Like, even if they didn't go through that, they could just be like, I really need a poo. I'm going to leave now. Yeah. Sorry. We've just got to nip behind a space cactus in the middle of a desert <laughs> yeah. somewhere. And... But like, I, yeah. I can see I can see games arriving at the using it as a comedy excuse thing faster because it's more explicitly a joke. I mean, mm. literally, like, you have, like, like your your conversation options are being shut down because you so badly need a poop that you're being forced towards the get out of conversation options. Or you are in the middle of a mission briefing and you really need to fart, but you don't know <laughs> if it's going to be silent or not. So you have to choose whether you're going to chance it, whether you're going to excuse yourself, but miss part of the briefing. There's a minigame like, you play just to sort of, you know, see if you can edge it one cheek. way or the other. <laughs> you know? yeah. Adjust your balance on this. You load up the <laughs> You load up the big hologram to talk to the elusive man, but at that point, unfortunately, you do fail the fart check. You do a big fart, and then you immediately have the choice to switch the hologram off again. (laughs) You mute yourself, you know? (laughs) Like, I think these things could actually be really fun, and games could actually Mm. do something kind of interesting with them. It's funny that as soon as that starts happening, the game kind of becomes about those things. Yeah. And that's because, I think, with the way we weight the inclusion of those things, but... Well, maybe it's because, like, it would always be, uh, you know, the first one would always get that. But maybe if it became more normalised, then 
yeah you know whatever or if that you know it's oh god it's the umpteenth I, I just, game I, honestly this, i just you know, unbound it's... holding fart after a while because you don't need to worry about it <laughs> so <there you> go. <laughs> exactly. you're like you're that comfortable with the elusive man that you're just like oh we've been doing this for a few years it's just, now <laughs> yeah it's just elusive the bonds man. of trust are there it's yeah. fine. <laughs> he's clearly not going anywhere yeah. <laughs> it's fine <laughs> Um, I don't know why I chose him of all the characters to fart at in Mass Effect, but hmm. fart and sheen. Oh, God, <laughs> this has been a terrible podcast. Sure, you all just fire ourselves. Now. Yeah, I think we're so close to. to episode two hundred. But you know, I mean, yeah, well, maybe, maybe it was, that was our that was our white whale. Uh, shall we do a different question? Yeah, sorry, no, I, I just, like I I've... thought I, I would go back a bit. No, it's, it was a good, it was a good, it was a good thought. It led us into an interesting place and then to a, a stupid place that I killed. Um, next up, question from Jonathan. Hello, he writes. A couple of pods ago, you were talking about Pubger, player unknown's battlegrounds, and how it uses copious amounts of explosive human jam to indicate when you've hit somebody. That's in contrast to many other games using a reticle tick or bloom. I wanted to highlight another option and get your opinion on it. Armor is a simulation is simulation focused and so has no reticle bloom or jam explosion. Many servers also hide the X killed Y text notifications that have been around since Doom, so you get no indication on a kill. That's like life. The default behavior for all players when they hear shots is to hit the dirt. If you're not playing very close attention, it can be very hard to tell if the enemy was hit or is currently working out where the shot came from and crawling away. What this can result in is some tense moments spent observing, approaching, and flanking a wall, only to find a dead body. Many times in armor, or the original Daisy, I've spent time cautiously clearing a shed, whereas with a hit-slash-kill notification, I could have sprinted in and grabbed the beans. Do you feel that the hunter-hunted aspect of Pubga loses something without this, or does the game show framing and pacing not suit it? I haven't played Pubga, but it obviously has Daisy roots. Uh, and then he has a follow-up comment slash question, so we'll do that as well. Uh, I think it was Tom S., and it was Tom S., uh, who was lamenting Armour's janky player movement. I also used to, used to gripe about this until its reasoning was explained. In Armour, your view and visible body are actually displaying your third-person character model. In most games, the player's view is a floating camera with a gun attached. Arms and legs are drawn on in a way that, if seen from outside the body, look look Lovecraftian. All other players do not see what you see. They see a character model performing its nicely modelled movements. That wouldn't do in armour. You need to be able to judge your actual position in the game without a disconnect between what you see and what other people see. The effect is that simple movements or bringing a gun up to iron sights can seem sluggish or janky. That's for the pods. Jonathan. I think that's a good point about armor. Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, yeah, that's a really great email actually, and I I kind of see what they're going for. And I think like based on our previous discussion, I've obviously become so used to games just pacing over the realities of having a physical body in the world that I expect like seamless, frictionless Titanfall like movement in all games because that's what I find exciting. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there's a I think there's a line, and I think armor does have problems, like because if simulating things one-to-one between what other players see and what you see and having this single simulated well-animated human body if that was a perfect approach every game would do it because it makes sense the reason they don't 
is it creates a disconnect between intent and what you get that is actually very unrealistic because in the real world you intuitively move your body to achieve the things that you're trying to do the vast majority of the time unless you're pissed basically like it's obviously accidents happen people trip over things go wrong but you can you have a very strong sense of where your hands are or if you're holding something where it is or where you're looking that kind of thing Whereas because you're almost like steering your body like a mannequin in armor sometimes, it can mm. feel like you're a bit slightly out of control. Uh, and actually to the extent that uh, Battlegrounds, player knows Battlegrounds, s- borrows a lot of armor's logic, it actually does fall afoul of this a little bit. Because it is also very... Uh, it's not... I don't know if it's first-person view mode is the same as the third-person view, but it has a similar sense of weight to your body and of accurately simulating physically where you are so i think i've said this on the pod before but like for example it will never let your gun clip through something so if you move up too close to a wall with a rifle that's too big your character will put pull it up so you can't shoot it anymore Mm. which makes sense because but in another fps you probably used to be able to like wait hand wave that away a bit and just shoot it anyway so you have to think about your positioning a little bit more which is good um but like uh, yesterday, actually, we ended up losing a game because I rushed down some stairs, like some sort of iron, uh, like corrugated iron stairs that had a very thin sort of grating, like thin rail around them, like a thin handrail. Mm. And there was a, a person running below me, an enemy, and I tried to shoot down at them, uh, hip firing, uh, but nonetheless just sort of aiming and shooting down at them. And then they did, took no damage whatsoever, turned and killed me. And on my death cam, I saw that there was a perfect uh, set of bullet holes directly into the railing in front of me. The, the like half a clip that I'd fired had just gone straight into the railing, like mm. without um, without going like without a single bullet kind of going where I was pointing. And that was because the game simulation said. Gun is here at hip level. Railing is here. Bullet hits. Uh, bullet hits railing. But it felt completely wrong because even if I was hip firing in real life, I would know how to slightly adjust. Because when I say railing, I do mean thin metal railing. Yeah. With thin, like sort of, um, kind of like a thin banister and thin supports, whatever you'd call them. Like you would subconsciously slightly adjust your positioning so you shot through the massive gap, not not the not directly into the post right yeah sure and that level of simulation i found like i was like you know at that point you want the video game logic to come back and kind of do you a favor and replicate the thing you would actually have done mm. rather than the slightly pedantic simulation thing that although i think you, you say uh, that but you're not someone who habitually fires a gun through railing so you might well have fucked it up you might do but <laughs> i honestly feel like shooting every bullet in like an automatic weapon into one point in a railing Given that the game doesn't simulate recoil, so the, like, sorry, it doesn't simulate ricochets. So mm. like, it's only, it, I don't know, it felt, it felt wrong as a consequence of a game trying to be more realistic, if that makes mm. sense. So I do think it goes a little bit both ways, but. Yeah, I think, um, mouse and keyboard controls play almost worse in this effect as well, especially when you're mm. moving a mouse sideways and you're expecting a certain degree of speed according to the speed of the mouse you've moved. It's very different to moving a control stick. Yeah. And setting, like, the, I think there's a lot of kind of, very small psychological effects that control uh, control mechanism 
has on your expectations for player movement that um, play against armor in that respect. I think if you, if I was, it might be a good pad game. <laughs> might feel much better as a pad game. Hmm. Maybe. Uh, with regards to the, the question more broadly about kill feedback, essentially, or hit feedback, uh, I think, like, I don't really feel like it's a sort of top level design decision why, like, Battlegrounds has kill feed and jam explosions. I think it would just be a very different game without them. Like, it's a relatively, I think because it's a slow game a lot of the time, having that feedback from hits and kills speeds it up in the points that matter. Um, so if you are playing a duos game and you kill somebody and then you kill their friend and there's no other indication that there's anyone else around, you have a reasonable sense that you can then rapidly move forward and loot them and loot the town you're in because mm. chances are there's no one else around. I think it would still... I, I suspect they're going to add these modes because there's demand for them. Um, a first-person-only no-kill feedback mode would just be a very different game. Yeah. It would be a lot slower. Really interesting. It'd be very interesting. I think it'd be really cool. It'd be really fun. I think it'd be a worthy alternative. Hmm. I think the game has absolutely space for that. But I understand why the current mode works the way it does. Because I think it gives players... I think you would find, without it, more players hiding for more of the time. Because miss... Like, yes, you can go and check to see if you actually hit somebody. But probably the risk of being wrong or finding out that you missed is too great. So people would trade fire and then hide yeah forever whereas like if you in in the game as it currently stands you fu- you stumble across someone having just who's just been killed but you yourself haven't been seen is often an amazing opportunity because whoever's just done the killing has had all the feedback that tells them that it's now safe to go and nick things from the person they just killed mm. only for them to then wander into a trap and, and so on so yeah you can definitely see why it works the way it does red orchestra 2 i think was amazing for not giving you feedback on whether you'd killed someone or not. Um, and it added enormously to the tension and changed it from just being like a, there's a lot of great things about that game, but, uh, uh, changed it from being like a Call of Duty run and gun thing to something where you actually forced you to play in a, a much more realistic manner where you're hiding behind walls and being very, very cautious and slowly going in on positions with friends and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a really powerful, um, mechanic when you use correctly, I would say. Next up, Lucas writes, Good day. With the International coming soon and Overwatch Apex Season 3 almost wrapped up, I've been thinking about how strange it is that these massive esports tournaments exist across so many games and essentially 100% of them are utterly incomprehensible to non-players of that specific game. I would somewhat understand that people who have no knowledge of games at all would be confused, but it seems baffling to me that even as a gamer who's played strategy games before, any given broadcast of StarCraft is incomprehensible to me, even with casters that are widely recommended. I've recently tried to watch some other popular esports like LoL, Dota, and CSGO, and none of them were even remotely watchable as a non-player of said games. Only Overwatch is watchable for me, but I've played it for many hours. The International in particular used to have a newbie stream some years ago that was really nice to watch and did not make it seem like I was missing out on any of the excitement, but that stream apparently no longer is a thing. It also seems like many attempts at mainstreaming esports from broadcasters like the BBC have disappeared in the last few years. Do you have an opinion on why esports broadcasting is limited to players of the particular game? Is this a chicken and egg problem, or am I totally missing great newbie commentary somewhere? Thanks for podding, Lucas. That's a really good question. He he points out um, 
uh, the beginner Dota streams that they ran alongside the international, which I believe mm. were manned by Purge and someone else. I can't remember. Virion Flax. Virion Flax. And Shane. Shane. Uh, and Did Slax do any of them? I think I think they had a rotating cast because of yeah. I think what Tom's about to say, which is that it was so repetitive and yeah. people would burn out on explaining the basics again and again and again and again. Yeah, but, indeed. Like, this is the interesting problem with it is that um, you have the commentators having to for every single game of Dota Two explain all of Dota Two from the very ground up. It's like these are the lanes, these are the creeps. They come out at regular times. Blah blah blah. These are the towers. They had it was t- about fifteen minutes of explanation. They had to get into every single broadcast before they could even start talking about the heroes and what they did. Uh, and even when they were talking about the heroes, they had to go from such a kind of uh, basic starting point that they couldn't actually say anything about the game at all. It was just them repeating the same script almost over over and over again um and i think the problem with the beginner's streams is that you almost you, you never know what degree of knowledge the player is coming in with and so you always have to assume no knowledge and then it's not so much commentary anymore it's just telling people what the game is over and over and over and over again you always want like one video that is 40 minutes long that says this is what dota 2 is watch this before you even go into the beginners just assume at least everyone has a basic level of knowledge coming in then and then you could have a beginner stream that maybe goes graduates a little bit but it's it's impossible to judge really what people know yeah that video does exist and they've, they've like they've tried so many different things mm. and i don't think they gave up on this uh well maybe they fully haven't given up on it but they, they didn't back away from those ideas because there wasn't demand just because the problem is so hard to solve yeah like <clears throat> it's not I think they tried to solve it after they stopped having the newcomer stream. I think, I think it was Dota, but they had it so that you had the, the basic map layout. There was a page where you could go to for that and you could click on various things and it would explain to you what they were and, you know, why they were and that maybe that would be a bit of context to the game and i've always wondered whether maybe a a version of that like an overlay for dota or league of legends so you could watch it via a particular client with like the overlay switched on and you could hover over like a character to see a basic explanation not necessarily just their abilities but like a kind of this is this type of character and it does this and that is why it gets picked with this other character, you know? Mm. But that would be such a phenomenal amount of work to respond to all of these different situations that these things are available in and can be played in and there's pocket picks that maybe weren't even considered and all of that stuff. And I think it sort of boils down to... So the problem boils down to the fact that... um the actual points of interest in the game in each game that is happening only reveal themselves once you know a certain amount about the game to start with and because they kick in from when the game starts because you need to understand bits for the laning phase and you need to understand bits for for later on that um it's almost impossible to do it alongside explaining what things are. But at the same time, if somebody's like, oh, there's a lot of money involved in this tournament, I'm just going to tune in. They kind of don't expect or want to do homework Mm. for that game. And so it becomes difficult. But then also stuff that you 
um, internalize if you play the games regularly. So you, you start to know what ability color coding means you know you you know that oh it's that it's that color or that particular particle effect and therefore it must be something to do with this even if you haven't played that champion or hero in ages like you might recognize a stun or something you'll recognize a stun you'll recognize particular ultimates you'll recognize oh that's that ultimate but with this particular character skin Mm. that has tweaked it in this you know cosmetic way you know there's a whole bunch of stuff that you just become literate of through ambient play or through being on the receiving end of enough times and that is stuff that as somebody who so i can see that stuff in league and dota in starcraft i can't pick up half what's going on because i don't play it and Mm. therefore i can't um i have to learn it afresh it's not stored anywhere in my actual player lizard brain whatever um something that i would say is that i find cs go a lot easier than mobas on this front because maybe i just lucked in with casters but particularly when i think i was watching um some esl events but they were very good at explaining what an economy round is and like you know even if they do it in a in a high level thing they give you enough terminology that you could uncover it with a quick google or you know a headshot is a headshot is a headshot as well you know it's not this esoteric oh there's a stun and then there's crowd control and then there's this spell and then that thing actually takes off anyone's remaining life if it's under a third and you know like all of that stuff that happens in the blink of an eye and you don't know what it was and there's almost no way of unpicking it without going frame by frame Mm. especially when it's a pro like faker or someone who's got ridiculous levels of skill and you know muscle memory and um strategic awareness and things um but yeah so i would say that counter-strike is a far easier prospect on that front and i think it would lend itself far more to a newbie stream you know Mm. um just because there's not quite as much stuff to go over and over and people can basically understand that person shot that person in the head yeah guns shooting people. <laughs> that and person yeah, diffused that bomb and also Good. just two objectives just very limited number of objectives and you you can yeah. understand why approaching that objective yet, in lots of different ways counter strikes accessible like, an easy to understand subject matter is the reason it will never be a mainstream esport hmm. absolutely not like and it's the reason it doesn't get covered in that way because it's about terrorists and counter-terrorists and it's blood and guns hmm. like like, it, this is an, the interest. That's interesting because I've always thought of it as one of the major, if not the major, esport. Yeah, except that it's the one that is perpetually, pointedly absent from esports presence in mainstream, as in traditional non-gaming centric media, um, and it's because of its subject matter. Uh, I think it's more of a problematic prospect, certainly when it comes to broadcasters and when it comes to. Um, things that will appeal to kids, but I, I, just in terms of anecdotal evidence, I wouldn't particularly agree. I think I, I think it's more that League and Dota have so much money attached to them okay. that they get covered. Well, more. I mean, I, I know for a fact that there is there is one broadcast that will not broadcast Counter Strike for that reason. So, um... well, yeah, but I mean, and that's I think that's why High School Star League didn't use it in you know, mm. in their stuff, because obviously there's, you know, age-related concerns and, you know, guns and, you know, all mm. of that stuff. But um, 
I would never think of it as not a mainstream esport. But anyway, that's by the by. I meant I meant in terms of specifically. Well, if you're talking about mainstream esports as in terms of within the esports industry, then absolutely, obviously, it is. In terms of mainstream media, then I I don't think it is. But but this is the thing. Like I genu- I believe that I think esports as a whole has a absolutely intractable accessibility issue that is not going to go away and probably won't go away. Um, like, I suspect, like, computers as we understand them will go away before that problem goes away. Mm. Like, because... It depends whether Rocket League takes off as an esports. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, I suppose actually, there are, yes, I, yeah, qualify that. I think there are, there are... Or whether FIFA becomes more enjoyable to watch. Yeah, there are games that are more analogous to traditional sport yeah. that could succeed as People viewing experiences. understand the rules already, and it's evident, mm. yeah. Yeah, because they're analogous to traditional sport, no, basically. Right. Hmm. Um, but the level of sort of... People don't just understand traditional sports because they are surrounded by them growing up, because they're a big part of culture. They understand them because they're all based on the same physics engine. Hmm. Like, everything you watch a human being do, you can relate to in some way. Like, even if you don't understand anything about the rules of a sport, a physical sport, like a traditional real-world sport, you can understand something about it because you know what it's like to try and run far or fast or throw something or lift something heavy or whatever it is. Mm. You can relate to it in some way. Games don't have that, and that's a really big deal. They're also really just simple prospects. They're not reliant on all of this maths going on behind the scenes. It really is just throw the thing. If you throw the thing the furthest, you are the winner. Exactly, yeah. Whereas, you know, it's if, if it's in a game, then that isn't going to cut it for the level of skill and expertise that people kind of require to invest in it in any meaningful way. Mm. Um, but, like, there was going to be something else that I said, but it's completely slipped my mind. Mm. I was just going to say that, um, like, the reason that being a player of a game makes that eSport accessible too is because it gives you some grasp of what is literally what is impressive and what isn't in that environment. And you often don't know that till you feel it. Mm. Like it's literally like you have to be sort of, you have to be exposed to the actual sort of the feel and the physics and the, the kind of the logic of that environment in order to be able to pass anything about the skill of the players participating in it. Uh, and I, 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 I having worked in eSports media and having, try to solve this problem myself from the kind of if you are the website or whoever who cracks getting people into esports that they don't play that is a that is a holy grail because that expands the audience rather than simply catering to the audience that already exists um and that is what everyone wants to do and i suspect it is not possible when you are not dealing with people who already want to know that stuff and want to learn that stuff like if somebody already has that interest then they probably already play the game for the most part like the number of people who don't play the game but can be taught because they want to understand it that that much hmm. is a sort of vanishingly narrow slice the self-selecting audience yes it? and, and at that point at, at that point they'll probably succeed regardless of whatever services you offer them yeah um so yeah like and I don't think esports will. Well, I don't think esports as they currently exist will ever get around that. So I was um, at an event. I was talking to someone from League from Riot. Um, 
I think it was Waylon, Waylon Rosell, and we were talking about the fact that when you are a newcomer or when you're watching a game and don't understand what's going on, often, you know, sometimes it might be that you're a total newcomer, but sometimes it might be that you don't understand a specific thing or you've come from a similar but different game and you don't know what the the differences are. And at that point, it's more that you need the friend who does play it on the sofa next to you to sort of fill in your specific gaps rather than going entirely back to basics or, you know, like it's about figuring out how to pitch stuff. And something that League now do that I keep forgetting to tune into because I'm just, for work, it's so much more sensible for me to just watch the the all-encompassing traditional stream but they've started to have a subsidiary stream of a game where they will follow for example the jungle player around and you know they'll have commentators specifically focusing in on that and like it all change to a different role you know in another game but Mm. um and I keep meaning to tune into that because the jungle is definitely one of my weaker areas. Like there's a smaller hero pool for it. And, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff that you need to know about mechanically, though. So it's not that it's easier. It's that it's such a different skill set from laning. And you go to this camp first. And if you go to this camp and you see that it's been cleared, you know that your enemy is doing this particular thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's stuff like that that is so if you do not play that role, it's stuff that you may just hand wave away, I guess, until it goes wrong. And so I keep meaning to tune into those, but that's another thing that I think. It's almost like that's taking a tutorial role rather than facilitating a spectator experience, which is like a very different type of Yeah, or like it's kind of somewhere in between. It's more like, okay, so you kind of know the game, but you might want to just focus on this thing and Mm. hear us talk a bit more about what's actually going on here. But like I say, I I haven't watched them, so I don't know specifically how they function within that. But I think it's kind of an interesting experiment along that continuum of knowing that ignorance isn't a binary Mm. prospect Mm. and that it might just be that... You know, it might be that somebody is an amazing player of this game, but they don't have any clue of the competitive meta or what happens at the the pro level, which is maybe a few tiers above where they are, even though they've played like thousands of hours and have a good time. You know, mm. it might be that, oh, I never see that champion. Why are they playing him? You know, mm. what's... <laughs> yeah, I, I would say like more widely, I still would love to see more like terminology discipline about the words people use and how with some consideration to what they actually mean to people who might actually understand the game but still not be up to the speed at the pro level and dota 2 has gotten better at this but you know a few years ago they were still referring to the heroes based on their warcraft 3 mod names like that is just like a basic thing as someone who is just have have a basic understanding of how dota works cannot understand what the fuck they're talking about if they're you know referring to those heroes by their old names yeah, yeah. and try and watch a smash brothers stream like it's fucking kirby hitting pikachu and the terminology <laughs> is insane it's like it's deliberately elitist because uh, mm. it, it almost celebrates that community and it, but uh, that excludes me as someone I who think tries to part watch it. of it is elitist and part of it is proprietary so obviously there's the naming stuff can be a, a way of marking out that you've been playing it for longer because you remember it when it was warcraft yeah. kind of 
naming conventions and before the lawsuits and all of that stuff but also like you know there's even just um things like are they minions or are they creeps or are they you know all of this other stuff is it a tower is it a turret Mm. is it a you know are they dire and radiant are they chaos and you know order and um red and blue (laughs) they're all the same basic absolutely idea but it's uh they get tangled up in this is my ip this is how we talk about it as distinct from this other thing and we do not refer to the other thing ever by name you know like and it gets so yeah it gets so tied up in branding and ip and you know like desperately protecting and demarcating your slice of the pie that i think it can it has the same effect of mm. causing people to need to learn an entire layer of fluff and words just to figure out, oh, but that's the same thing as this other game, you know? Yeah. Or like, oh, that's this game's version of that character, just because, yeah, it's not that it's football and there's a ball and there's a pitch. It's that, no, these have to be legally distinct terms that we use and protect there are times where it's necessary shorthand because stuff happens so fast in dota that i expect you just have to say things in the you know the shortest possible ways and the naming for skills like in order for a commentator to go that fast they have to just abbreviate that stuff but more generally i mean across the board i'd love to see more just coherent language around Mm. captures just you know killing a tower that kind of stuff you know Mm. It's interesting. I mean, the other side of it is maybe it's just it is a thing that will just remain for a small group of people. And Mm. that is perhaps a thing that investors will have to be okay with Mm, because it's it's not an everyone wants this thing. No, I suspect that's that's the reason the bubble, it doesn't burst, but it doesn't grow either, because I I think the, the audience is often capped at the relative to the popularity of the game as a whole. Mm. There's a... I think there's a tendency among older investors in esports, but I presume in any young industry, to believe that, like, all young people understand this thing. I do not understand it, because I am from a different generation. And that I think specifically applies to esports because it cre- has created like there is a in business and in in particularly in the esports industry that suffers from this this sense that esports is a thing and it absolutely isn't. There are lots of individual esports, but they don't they're not collectively there's, there's not an really consumer, in industry. Is there? Like yeah. there are there are there are businesses whose livelihood is spread across multiple different esports, but they by themselves is not the business. Yeah. If all of the games went away. ESL would go away, right? Like they, you know, the games are the things that have to survive individually and independent from each other because they have no relationship with each other. If, if League of Legends vanished one day, Dota 2 would not gain 40 brilliant new Dota teams. Hmm. You know, eventually maybe some of those players would move across, but it would be the, that'd be take years and it would be remarkable if any of them ever got to the standard of the people who were, who were already there. Um, like in any other sport, like, you know, if, if one day tennis was banned, you're not going to end up with a load of amazing new Formula One drivers. Mm. Um, and because these things are also independent from one another, they aren't actually siloed off. And that means that this sense that 
you know, esports as a thing can be sort of broadly invested in and we'll just get some, e- like, I say this now with the benefit of someone who's worked in the industry and now does different things. Like, it is very easy, I think, from the outside of something to assume that it is a homogenous whole that everyone else other than you understands and therefore there's an audience there waiting to receive it. But actually, esports is a million different small things. And some of, the, some of those small things are actually very big. You know, millions of people love this, whatever. Millions of people will watch it. But they don't they don't talk to each other. And they don't, you know, grow. And if someone's excited about esports, they're probably excited about one specific esport. They don't necessarily also, you know, stick around to watch the next one mm. or whatever. And all of the biggest... All of the biggest own goals I've seen in that industry have stemmed from the notion that esports is esports and anyone can understand it. We just need to present it to them and they'll enjoy it. I'll tell you something, trying to be a generalist esports journalist was one of the hardest things I've ever tried to do. Yeah. Because that's what I was doing over at Red Bull essentially, and it was I had to essentially have a working understanding and up-to-date knowledge of everything all sports you know (laughs) and that's that's crazy difficult and you have to watch so much and the thing is i guess i get that there's a lot of money in esports and there's a lot of money sort of just generally floating around in terms of what people are willing to invest in a thing that is you know, perhaps taking the place of trips to the cinema or, you know, that kind of other traditional TV watching, like you'll stream League of Legends or something. And so I do admit that, you know, that there is perhaps often a disparity between the amount you play and the amount you're willing to consume on a streaming service and things. Um, And I also think that, you know, I, it's sensible if you are a, an investor or a company to look at that money and try and figure out like where it's coming from and what it does and what's a good sort of pressure point for you to become involved in. Um, but I think that for me, the priority is in, you know, making it a positive experience for the people who are involved in it. So, you know, kids who aspire to be a professional player of whatever the thing is that they're into that they don't get screwed over legally that they actually sort of get the 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 external support that they need you know mental health stuff when you're in the public eye and like Mm. you know having to travel around the world and you don't know who is actually sort of looking out for your best interests and who is after a particular payday or whatever else and you know the the wording of contracts and you know the the um the fact that you might then need to at some point not be a professional gamer and therefore have you still been at school do you have any qualifications what what is your trajectory within esports afterwards what is the um you know the stuff that exists around what about managers what about casters what about like production crew you know all of that stuff like it's a it's an ecosystem and i think it's well worth investing in but i think that that idea of a quick buck based on exponential expansion is that's the thing that i that that seems to still be touted every now and again or like oh it's this boom industry that has no limits and Hmm. the millennials will somehow like just throw their paychecks into it and you're like "Eh." (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it's completely incorrect they should be throwing that money at our patreon yes or (laughs) 
I was going to suggest brunches, uh, Marxism and Warhammer, which I think is what we settled on in the last minute of the podcast. Yeah, that's the millennials in being a millennial. Yeah, not sure. Um, like, good. I think we've, I think we've answered, I think we've answered the question by essentially saying that no, esports are totally impenetrable unless you play that specific game <laughs> or are super determined. I'd basically. say sit with a friend if they, if you have a friend yeah. who plays it or like, one thing that I would be interested in is if people, um, if there were any LFGs, but for like sort of Skype listening parties for the international or, you know, like people who are willing to like Sherpa each other through I'll a thing, you, what, you know? Cool. I tell you what, the, the easiest solution to this that probably would have saved us a lot of time is the Create and Crowbar Discord does have channels for these things, mm. these specific things, yeah. does mm. do these specific things that we're talking about. So yeah, if you want to understand the international, probably a gaming community full of people who you've already got something in common with. That's probably a way to do it. Yeah. Hmm. Our next question. Oh God, there's more. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's good. We've had quite a frivolous first half and then the second half. It, it always it's dead reverses, serious. doesn't it? Tom, oh, do you have wow. any poo puns for that? In, in, I, I, I don't. I've been all out. Wii oh. sports. There you go. Oh, that's already a oh. game. If I'd known, I would have gone down and got the wine. <laughs> well, you a... knew because we went through them beforehand. I didn't think I'd bang on for that long. <laughs> I'm never planning what I'm going to say. You know I'm not. No, indeed. Do you, do you want me to go get the wine? Because I can, I, I can do it. Yeah. I'll be right back. Okay. We're going to have an unprecedented Crate and Crowbar pause. <laughs> Hang on. This is fine. We can we can talk our way through this. This never happened before. In, in, in 197 episodes. So, yeah. Bye, Tom. What? Has no one ever needed, like, the loo? No. Impromptu, we, we are like, so good at this Got really now, bored and despite... left. <laughs> we cut a chunk out the middle, obviously, when we, we have a break before right. questions. You know that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, but we know no one's ever wandered off. I did wander in in the middle of the podcast once, I think. I've started coming in for questions on evenings where I really, really can't do. Yeah. Like, but it's, it's easy for you to, to sort of fit in. Tom, did you get a glass? Yes, you did. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. You've got to go again. <laughs> Tom, put the bottle, give me the bottle here. I'm going to pour myself a glass of wine. Do you want me to pour you a glass of wine? Yeah, okay. <laughs> Live admin. Can use your mug? No, it's got coffee in it. Oh, uh, I could have your coffee. Well, it's got like dregs. Uh, coffee dregs. It, it's, it's, it's not a good environment for wine, but it's also oh, not like a beverage. Okay. It's in a sort of mid penge. We could have always just edited out one. this gap. We could have done, but honestly, at this point, I think we're committed. But no, um, like, you know, obviously, yes, you've been joining us when you've been busy earlier in the evening for questions. Once I think I had to run, literally run to the office because I'd forgotten some train tickets. Oh dear. And therefore just sort of burst in towards the end. But even then we might have edited around it. So in many ways, this is totally new territory for us. Oh, well, I'm, I'm glad that I could be on the cutting edge of something that happened in the podcast. You've been the cutting edge of many things. You were the person who introduced, uh, Lego cards. And the grudge book. And the grudge book. That's probably the biggest. Thank I don't you, know why I didn't go to that first. That's my. Oh, no, I'm back. Wow. It's like, it's like there was no pause at all. I suppose I don't live here, so I just go find those things by just opening yeah, random sorry doors. Yeah, about that. It's I quite mean, all right. you know, you You're could have just brought me a You're probably the last person we should have sent. Really. Yeah. the door. Uh, that's Tom's wine. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, Pip. Pip, yeah. it's time for your wine. Well, also, if I'd left you two alone, it would have just come back to a Warhammer podcast. Yeah, Pip's not wrong. Mm. We could, there's like a, you roll a dice when that happens, and on a, on a five up, you get Blood Bond instead. Um, <laughs> Either way. <laughs> Good. All right, we're back in action. We're back now. Mm. 
You know, we've only got two questions left, right? So oh, for God's sake. Let's <laughs> make them count. Also, my monitor has just switched itself off because this tangent went on so long. Oh, oh. Everything's going swimmingly. Yeah. Our next question. That's some See, nice if, I was gonna, if I was going to edit this, I would have deliberately put a little gap there just so that was clean, but I'm not. Behind the curtain. <laughs> Sam right. Dearest CR8 Crowbard Are there any video game plots or settings you would want to play as a pen and paper RPG? Follow up, please add me to the list of people hoping for a pen and paper spin off podcast or at least a one off show with the cast of the Creighton Crowbar. I remain Sam. Uh, he says, side note slash postscriptum. Hmm. Is that correct, Latin? I don't know. I feel like we should all drink. And, uh... Okay. I didn't know it was postscript. Uh, uh, postscriptum. I thought it was postscript. Did you know that a year of uh, Games Workshop has left me unable to tell both bollocks <laughs> Latin from real Latin? I know that if you PS your PS, it's a PSS. It's a postscript script. Mm. Anyway, this email was partially... Hang on, no, a PPS. Post-postscript. Yes. There you go. I didn't challenge you on that because... No, but I was wrong. So wrong. And even when I ran it through my mind, I was like, there's something wrong about that. Ran it through your mind. I ran it through my mind. Thoughts. It's because I've been listening to too much Dad Wrote a Porno and and I'm channeling Belinda. (laughs) Sorry, other podcasts. Both from Canterbury. Oh, excellent, yes. excellent, excellent podcast. My dad wrote a porn, a little plug there for someone else's work. Um, <laughs> so good, but so bad. Yeah, anyway, the side note slash PPS to this email it's is... It's just a PS. This... <laughs> <laughs> I've got my wine now, I don't oh, care. no. The final form. <laughs> Enjoy my I... plots. <laughs> what have I unleashed? <laughs> Did you just threaten plots. to poo? In my office. <laughs> no, I'm not going to do it in mine. It's quite a plot twist. <laughs> a plot twist. <laughs> we thought they'd finished, but apparently not. It's still going. Third act plot twist. A third act plot twist. <laughs> you now just sound like you've had too much wine and you can't talk. <laughs> it's third act. Oh, God. Oh... Uh. Why do we do this to ourselves? The the PS is <laughs> this email was partially inspired by Film Reroll, a podcast that role plays through movies using GURPS. I don't know what that is. I I mean I said that, not the writer. And partially by apposite salutation pun I found in my notes. I think I read the last bit in a way that made no sense, but we're moving on. Um That was a very special cadence for sure. <laughs> special cadence. Anyway, actually, speaking of special cadence, there's a reason oh I wouldn't God. roleplay in Mass Effect. That like I'm never getting. That's the segue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or indeed. So Tom had a good point about answering this question. Oh, is it, uh, so roleplaying like in a video game universe. Oh, I've, I was thinking back to uh, the video game universes that I found most effective, most interesting, greatest depth, and. Um, you think of like Baldur's Gate, and then you think of Tides of Numenera, which are obviously already based on 
the pen and paper, paper setting, yeah. settings. Um, then I skipped like Bloodborne and uh, Dark Souls, and then I immediately think that just wouldn't work at all for a pen and paper role play setting. I think uh, too often video game worlds are about putting the player at the center of the world, mm. and as a role player in a uh, a collaborative pen and paper RPG setting, you're supposed to be just a citizen or a you know uh, a bystander or a collaborator. Um, and you're not supposed to be the hero. And in fact, people who kind of play like the hero, uh, it's not like, it can be quite an ex- exclusionary way to play the game. Mm. It can be cool if it's kind of riffing off other people's stuff, but people who try to be like the, the, the one who does everything, that's kind of, uh, sometimes not great pen and paper role, role playing, uh, etiquette. Uh, so yeah, I think video game worlds are just too geared around a single player to actually often be very good as pen and paper role-playing universes. Like, you almost want a, a huge, like, multi-layered, beautifully textured world to put yourself in there somewhere and just be a bit part in that mm-hmm. world and then try and affect things, which isn't video games. I wonder if Eve would make for a good, um, mm. that a is good, good point, pen actually. and paper thing, just based on, yeah, because it's full of rich systems and mm. things, but each person is only a, a tiny speck within whatever mm. faction or within whatever universe. And there's a lot of kind of fictional, like, grit to it. Like, the reason why people are, they're yeah. clones or, yeah, that's a really good call, actually. Mm. Yeah, he's really cool. I think, I think there are game universes that have that, have the potential. This is a sort of complimentary point because I agree with you completely. Mm. Um, obviously, I still love the Numenera pen and paper setting, regardless of t- t- Tides of Numenera. Um, and if I think Tides of Numenera, one of the reasons it's good is that it's one of the few games where even though you are special as a protagonist, you're special in a way that makes you not special, which is yeah. a great trick. Um, and, uh, uh, like what I was going to say is earlier was that it would probably be obvious for me to suggest Mass Effect Dragon Age settings that I'd love to do pen and paper role playing in. In fact, there is a Dragon Age pen and paper role playing game. Mm. Uh, and I do think those worlds are sufficiently deep and sufficiently fleshed out in their systems and structures and so on to support uh pen and paper role playing and often the litmus test for this is do they support fan fiction uh because pen and paper role playing is often a way to construct fan fiction pip you're doing a face i mentioned fan fiction in the break yes you did <coughs> but i i agree good okay <laughs> but another another grudge in the book there <laughs> Taking names, writing them down in the big book, being carried aloft in a palanquin with a huge beard. It's Pip. Don't be dumb. I can't lift the book anymore. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Has its own shelf in the library. (laughs) But I feel like one of the weaknesses, for me at least, of those settings when it comes to uh, being role-playing settings is... Because of the nature of the video games that are attached to them, the most important stories in that universe have been told, right? Mm. Like both Shepard and whoever your and Ryder and and whoever your mass your Dragon Age protagonists were, kind of encounter. They almost have like the ideal run through those universes. They encounter almost every aspect of it from every angle in the course of their own adventures through side quests and everything else. So it's very hard to produce a approach to those settings that isn't so different that it might as well be a different setting or isn't a rehash of sort of piecemeal elements of the games that presumably every player 
who's in your group, I would imagine, is aware of. So it's very hard to escape those frames of reference. <coughs> Interestingly, I think those sort of big genre changes, for example, suit fan fiction a lot better. Um, because an individual fan fiction author can take the, one of the settings and run with it in their own direction. They don't need to bring players with them. They don't need to bring a group with them. Similarly, when you talk about role-playing, because I've been doing loads of Star Wars role-playing recently, and I'm really enjoying it. One of the reasons I really enjoy it is those films tell a very specific story, but there's loads of room for... They leave far more room for other stories in that universe than big games like Mass Effect do, I find, because, you know, Star Wars feels like a huge universe, and obviously there's lots of books and supporting material and loads of and loads of back matter, but functionally, you're talking about like nine hours of films, hmm. if that, really. I mean, maybe more if you include the prequels. But like, like there's, you know, it's not that much. Given that a given Mass Effect game is like 40 hours long. So the original trilogy, Mass Effect trilogy is like 100, at least 100 hours of stuff. Like that's like 10 lots of Star Wars in terms of the amount of <clears throat> material everyone's exposed to. Whereas with Star Wars, it feels like you get sort of like pinpricks of this, like sort of the, the the setting just viewed in these snatches and everything else kind of expands out around it. And I think that is the ideal. Mm. If you're going to base a, whenever a pen and paper setting doesn't come from, isn't designed for that purpose, the ones that I'm most excited about are the ones that tie into other media rather than games, I think, for that for that reason. So it was a bit of a roundabout point, but that's kind of... Yeah, I think with Star Wars, it's very much that you happen to spend your main amount of time with the people who end up doing the heroic things but everything that they are doing is sort of seen as a thing that is um that exists not in isolation like other people are doing similar things all over the entire universe you just happen to be focusing in on one that worked yeah, in this particular thing. Yeah. But also it doesn't resolve the um the the conflict often, you know? It's like um you'll deliver a thing, but it doesn't, you know, fix everything that's happening elsewhere in the mm. universe. And I think for for its flaws, that is a strength of Star Wars, is that you end up um with this sense of everybody is trying to fix a thing or trying to do a thing or trying to pursue an agenda and you focus in on the the main movers and shakers at this particular stretch of time but that there are people all over this entire universe with their own you know like it's um when they run into Jabba like he's so clearly got his empire and he's got his things that are mm. happening and he's got fingers in all <laughs> of these pies that are kind of alluded to and that you could flesh out if you wanted to whereas mm. in something like Mass Effect it's built more like um a lore heavy theme park ride you know you ride through all of the the plot beats that you are allowed to and you can make choices about you know which road your little cart goes down for the most part and how many people end up still in it at the end but ultimately you're still experiencing a specific strand all the way through you know you don't just happen to dip into somebody else's narrative for a little bit or you see things come together people you you definitely deform the universe around you in that way that tom was saying earlier about the you know it's to make you feel mm. super powerful yeah um, the, the star wars thing as well it's about like a cluster of heroes so it already 
gives you that idea that you know you don't have to be a Jedi. You, you can be an awesome smuggler. You can be a lot of different heroes in this mm. world. That's where something like, for example, the Witcher would fall down as a, as an uh, yeah. Kind of yeah, you can't really do the group where one guy isn't a Witcher exactly. Like, yeah, and the Witcher is just the best, right? I mean, that, that, that's the player power fantasy, and that's that's the way that it warps things. So, like, a vampire might be as good as a Witcher, but okay so one person gets to be the vampire one person gets to be the witcher and and then what you're left with just some dandelion <laughs> dandelion exactly I no think, one wants to be dandelion i think that there's also a certain amount of so pen and paper at its best works when there's a kind of a, a theme or an idea that it is getting you to explore and to feel comfy with other people around the table or not comfy for what it, you know the exercise demands it but you um it's more about the conflict that it can provoke using the systems that it lays out and what they then draw out of interactions and in a way you could frame you know you could just set out the bare bones of a thing and then frame anything around it and Mm. so in a way the question almost feels backwards in that it's not which system it's not which game i would like to experience as a pen and paper thing because games are so tied up in their systems so it's maybe more which systems would actually not feel it not make you feel like you were in a completely different universe you know like i i'm explaining this badly but i think that if you were to play a a successful pen and paper game based around mass effect it wouldn't feel anything like mass effect it would just feel like you'd borrowed Mm. all of the law and applied it to something else and it's because it would need to play so differently to work in that scenario it would essentially be like you'd you'd Mm. gutted all of the systems all of the way that the choices work and you'd had to replace them with something else and so i guess it mostly would then depend on how much of the um how a world feels is based on its your mechanical interactions with it or how much the appeal is based Mm. on that and how much is actually the world and the world building and law Mm. you know yeah does that make sense yeah totally you never have to fire a blaster when you're watching a star wars film yeah so that you don't have to replicate that feeling of doing the thing in the way that you would for a video game yeah that's totally it's, it's a really interesting point yeah so i mean having you know done endless like faintly irritating combat encounters in the witcher like you'd have to get some of that into the rpg wouldn't it? it's almost like taint it too much you almost want that freedom perhaps <laughs> i'm not sure um so this is an interesting broader question about i think pen and paper game design weirdly mm. in the so uh, like i find that so to answer this, the same point from a different direction um when people have I would say a film is a, in the way that it presents action, the way that it presents character and drama and motion game, games know this. It's better than games at those things. Film is better at making you care about characters making you care about action and making you care, make you excited about the things that are happening to characters than games are. Regardless of how games try and do to make up that distance, because games have to have systems and mechanics and boring bits and, and, you know, and, and stuff to do and so on and, and that's not to downplay them as a medium it's just that your mind's eye sense of the adventure that your character is going on is ideally closer to a film than to a game i would say mm. in a pen and paper game i mean specifically like you want to 
be imagining the amazing, amazingly shot action sequence that you're in, not the satisfyingly designed combat game you're playing, right? The, most of the time. I mean, obviously people do play pen and paper games as games first, and that is a different way of maybe encountering them. Yeah, and Pip was like, um, in the last on a pod, one or two pods ago, you were talking about um, that colonialism pen and paper game, which is obviously like about putting dog you... Eat dog. Yeah, putting you into like a, a difficult social situation almost. Yeah. Yeah. In a safe way. Um, yeah, like I think um, something that I was thinking was um, it, it does... So I think... In terms of just the sheer mechanical side of things, a game that would be interesting to transplant into a pen and paper kind of environment would be something like Dishonored because the emergent um, gameplay, you know, you could sort of have people coming up with really imaginative solutions to how to traverse things mm. and essentially it would just become about being, um, you know, uh, an obstacle course master rather than a GM in some ways. Um, uh, but at the same time, I think that highlighted to me how little I actually am involved with the lore of most games. You know, it sort of happens as a almost like a slideshow or a, 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 a thing that is streaming around me, but I'm not as emotionally invested. Whereas for pen and paper to even work, everybody around that table has to buy into it to some degree. They have to bring more of themselves and put more of themselves into it. And that's why I think I would also not be comfy with broadcasting sessions because it um they make you vulnerable in a way that gaming doesn't um like i would be far happier to sort of twitch stream me playing dota than i would ever be to stream a pen and paper session and it's because you have to invest far more of yourself into it for it to work Mm. and so does everybody and it makes you really weirdly vulnerable and that's kind of interesting because like that isn't a cinematic ideal that you're pursuing and that's pen and paper's own thing yeah so it's dog dog isn't trying to create i mean i've most of the pen and paper stuff i've played has been about being a badass (laughs) dude in the 41st millennium in the warhammer universe and chainsawing a library is it yeah whatever um uh, but you know, pen and paper can go into those spaces, and that and games just can't. Yeah, it, it can. It can like a role playing can do. So I would right, say so games can yeah. do in the context of role playing because that was like mm. my introduction to any of this was role playing and MMOs, which is far closer to pen and paper mm. because the players have to kind of make up stuff that isn't in the game. Which yeah, that's is really true. interesting. Put, kind of put your own framework around it. To, yeah, yeah, redefine it. Yeah. Um, so I guess you know maybe one of my cop answers to this question is I could say Dark Age count a lot of Star Wars Galaxy. Star Wars Galaxy doesn't really count because it's Star Wars, but like, mm. you is know, there a well pen and paper? There isn't, but there's there are maybe maybe there is actually, but there's a, what I was going to say is there is a hugely active World of Warcraft role playing community who have obviously invented their own systems for role playing in that game mm. far beyond what it provides out of the box. Um, the the reason I brought up cinematic like a cinematic mind's eye sense of action as an ideal for pen and paper, particularly when we're talking about pen and paper in game style settings that pulls it away from games being good providers of, of pen and paper settings is, um, you know, I found that even as I've been running, I've been running a fantasy flights, star Wars role-playing system. And it's a good system. There's a lot of things I really like about it that are kind of nice and analog and pr- provide, interesting responses to player choice 
However, it has a very deep uh, game system attached to it. Um, given that like Numenera is my favorite system because it has very little that is sort of crunchy and gamey about it. It's almost all improvisational. Um, I'm not a huge fan of... I don't want to just be a calculator that does the maths of a combat encounter. I don't really want to play these games on a grid because they're about stories rather than turn-based strategy for me. I understand, like, every respect people play them in a different ways, just how I prefer to play them. Mm. And I found myself on the fly, uh, actually, out of the box, that role-playing system is, would be pretty good for a video game in a lot of ways with a few changes in, in, like, a video game in the Star Wars universe. However, I find the process of implementing that onerous to the point that I've started to basically elide whole systems in pursuit of getting closer to a player's mind's eye view of what should happen. Um, because no one, no one in the Star Wars universe has ever, ever, ever given the slightest, smallest shit about the ablative armor value of a stormtrooper's armor, right? You might think you care about that. You don't. What happens is someone shoots a stormtrooper and the stormtrooper falls over and doesn't get up again. And then another stormtrooper runs around the corner or something. That is true of every Star Wars film. And the moment you break that rule, it stops feeling like Star Wars. As soon as someone shoots a stormtrooper and you go like, well, so they have a soak value of two. So technically they took four damage from that strike. And so you need to do one more point of damage to kill them. Even if you role play around that, it still doesn't feel like Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. No one has ever gone like the stormtrooper looks like he's bothered by that attack, but he's still on his feet and swinging. Like we were surprised actually by the amount of knife fighting that the game kind of encourages early on by the availability and the price of certain weapons and, and all that stuff felt wrong. So it was sort of, a question of how do I re-engineer this game system that's been created to make it feel more like a film? Because that is what everyone, specifically with Star Wars, that's what everyone has in their head when they're thinking about the adventure that they're having. I think maybe that's another point that is worth mentioning, which is that um, another thing about pen and paper or anything that takes place, you know, like uh, board games and stuff, you can house rules things in ways that in video games, you have to either figure out the system and to use the term, get good. Um, or you have to figure out an exploit that works for you or, you know, you go to an online guide or whatever, but there is a, a you or mod it, uh, you know, if you know what you're doing or can find the appropriate thing. But essentially, they are absolute systems that you have to either work out how to trick or work out how to be good at. And so that's a very different thing to being able to adjust it up or down mm. or tweak it or figure out what this specific group of people wants to get out of this scenario and then change it. And so yeah, yeah. I think all of that stuff is such a different experience to what I associate with video games. It's such a kind of amorphous and sort of tailorable and... Um, not friendly exactly but it is a thing that is designed for you to be able to change it if necessary or it has that capacity mm. that it i think it's inherently unlike video games and so i i struggle to see one in the other medium if you see yeah. what i mean well, to put it differently i can't imagine anybody house rulesing something to make it feel more like the video game. Which no. maybe sounds very negative about games. I don't mean that at all. It's just that, particularly when we're talking about narrative games, which is the kinds of games that would be ideal for pen and paper settings in the first place, often you would do everything you could to pull them away from the gamey things that 
hinder them in that regard hmm. in their digital existence? It's weird. I think some. I think it's case by case. So, for example, like um, The Witcher 3's potion system, I find incredibly boring in the game, but would be great in a pen and paper role-playing setting where mm, you're literally taking point. drugs that affect you and, you know, you actually get to describe and, you know, uh, interpret the physical psychological effects of that stuff which you don't get at all in the game it's just a, a yeah buff, that's a very right? good point so it's um it's interesting how different some game systems might be much much better in pen and paper it might be quite fun if you so you know my habit of making terrible and half useful half absolutely hindering potions in the elder scrolls various mm. games um that would be far more interesting if i could only carry like two of them and i would create them the gm would then consult a table and be like well so you've managed to make a thing that will heal a, a companion for half their health but also set them on fire for a certain amount of time so you yeah. know that's now in your inventory you're about to go into battle have fun <laughs> actually that's a really interesting way of approaching this because Essentially, the presence of a GM has the potential to solve lots of good ideas games have that don't work. Mm. So another way of approaching this question would be, what games have systems that don't work in the game, that but, would with, be great but with the help of a GM, GM. actually could? Because mm. like, I think Oblivion could really yeah, benefit exactly. from a GM. <laughs> because, yeah, you have all those daft magic items and, and things like that, where mm. you have this mind, again, mind's eye sense of... Or even just the conversation system, oh, yeah, you know, sure. the, the mm. trying to trick people into... I'm going like, to try and charm, yeah. Or like, yeah, you'd move it round the wheel, the convo wheel. The convo wheel, like a GM. Just <laughs> come back just to that a few episodes that in a completely. row now, but yeah. Yeah. But like specifically like... The GM without... trying to do the happy, happiest, <laughs> yeah. sad, The GM has to do neutral. every face yeah. that you select. <laughs> but even without like scrapping systems outright, there's stuff like, you know, there's the, the disappointment that always comes with emerging games is the moment where something doesn't quite work. Mm. Right, where, where the, the simulation can carry you so far, but no further. Mm. And you want the GM that will go, yeah, fuck it, you can do that. Like, we'll just go with this thing you've introduced. And that's or the, yeah. we'll have the failure be entertaining in a way that it just can't be in games. Because yes. in games, it'll be like, the guard has now seen you, you go back to the checkpoint, or you die, or you, you know, all of that stuff. Whereas if it was a GM, they could just be like, well, you fell flat on your face. This person has now seen you. You've lost this thing, that thing. You've crushed yeah. the apple that you were holding onto for no apparent reason. <laughs> and now everyone's chasing you. <laughs> yeah, like there's a degree to which like, creative play in an emergent game is like telling a joke to a computer and you, you have a sm like there's a narrow band of things that m that, m that it might like but <laughs> then you look at your games like most Zelda, of things it will you? just sort of like look yeah. at you blankly like but yeah. even then it won't refer to them later it'll just be like ha ha move on you know yeah. it won't be like oh call back yeah brilliant <laughs> you can't bounce with a computer that's what we've learned mm. no Important lessons. Well, yeah. I think on that note, <laughs> we've got on to our next question. Oh, God, <laughs> it never this ends. It, it, this is the last question, <laughs> and it's also from. Can I have some more wine, please, before we tell who it's from. <laughs> that was the hot take bell. Wine. No, it's not the wine <laughs> bell. The, I, look, no, stop it. I need, I need more wine. I know, please. but that's not helping. Oh. I'm going to, I'm going to take it away if you do that again. That's the silence of me not doing it again. Thank you. Ah, I've got it now. <laughs> I just, I'm not interested in your opinions or you're glaring. I wasn't glaring, I was sort of grimacing. 
Um, Carry on. <laughs> our final question for the evening comes from Sam, who writes, Dear Carrie and Crystalis, that's a Dota reference. Did we just have two Sams in a row? Yes, we did. Um, that's fine. I mean, I'm fine with this. <laughs> Do you want my wine back? Yeah. <laughs> what Sam's got to say? That <laughs> <laughs> didn't make a sound at all. I just hit my microphone with the wine bottle. Um, Sam writes, I uh, hope this finds you well. I have a grudge slash question or question, if you will. Quudge. A quadge. I like that. It's a Pip, Mr. Word. Creed. It is more accurately a quadge. I was a keen PC gamer through my extended student dumb. As Chris can attest. Hi, Chris. Yes, I can attest because this Sam was uh, a very, very valued member of the second iteration of the Hot Dukes back in the day. Sure. Yeah. Tukes, Tukes. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. That would that would make the third iteration the hot trikes. No, hot dukes too fast, too furious. Too hot, too dukes. Oh, okay, fine. Okay. Um, Yes, my Dota team. So, hi Sam. Uh, As Chris can possibly also attest, however, real life has increasingly got in the way of my enjoyment of gaming. For example, forcing me to Pete Best from the Beatles, the Dota 2 iteration of the Hot Dukes. Yep, they mentioned the thing I just said. (laughs) I like Um, the Beatles reference. Yeah, indeed. Um, He says, and he actually asterisked that, which is, I would advise something not to do when you intend your question to be read out by someone who's pissed. Um, This comparison is especially well-fitting, he notes, when one considers that carries are absolutely the drummers of Dota 2. Uh, I find this is actually incorrect. Mm. Uh, I don't agree with this particular assertion, Sam. Uh, Carries are the lead guitarists of Dota 2 in that they start off doing the same thing as pretty much everybody else. And then later, like three quarters of the way through the song, they get to play a solo, Mm. which is to be contrasted with lead singers who are the mid laners of Dota 2 special throughout. um, And bass players and and drummers of function. They're the support and offlane of Dota 2. That makes me the Pete Best of the of of the Dukes, and uh, and it's it's my I'm podcast. I'm the roadie, cry, as cry I, want support, to. I would say. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Make sure you actually get what you're doing and where you're going and all that nonsense. Mm. No thanks. No recognition. No album deal. Very important to ward up the stage before you go on as well. <laughs> Put the so lighting you... <laughs> down so they can see what they're doing. Exactly. You've got the spotlight. <laughs> yeah, indeed. On. Interestingly, that makes my uncle the support for Judas Priest. Breaking the law. No, adhering to the law. I mean, yeah, like supporting the breaking the law. Exactly, yeah. Abetting the law. Buying the wards. No, it would be abetting. (laughs) He is abetting. (laughs) (laughs) You're so pleased with yourself right now. It's so annoying. Didn't even give my joke time to shine. Sometimes they just just flow. Get on with okay, it. Okay, sorry. Um, back to back to the non-asterisk part of this question. Oh, God. I used to enjoy games because of the complex technical challenge and as art. But now I find myself playing... <laughs> God bless you, Sam. 
Sorry, I think I didn't do, do justice to that very no, well-worded really question. really didn't. <clears throat> I'm going to start. Just move on to the next sentence. You'll only butcher it more. I used to enjoy games because of the complex technical challenge and as art, but now I find myself playing exclusively empty mobile games as they fit into my lifestyle, but not necessarily enjoying them that much. I also feel quite out of the loop from a culture I enjoyed, as I can no longer spend hours in Discord channels or Steam chat rooms, although rediscovering the Crate and Crowbar has helped a lot. So thanks a lot. Thanks for keeping an old man in touch with his youth. I'll tell you and something. As PC an older gaming. man, Sam, I say you. <laughs> <laughs> but PC gaming is essentially still making Half-Life 3 jokes, so you can't have missed much. That's true. Mm. <laughs> also, <clears throat> shout out for like mobile games that make you feel a bit empty on the inside and that you're not entirely sure whether I you're enjoying I thought you would much. like this because one for that reason. Because frankly, that's what I do. I know. <laughs> that's, that's what why, I do with my life. That's why I didn't tell you about this Garden one before scapes, I read it. Fish dum, blendoku, blendoku too. I mean, come on. <laughs> to blend to doku. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, there's another paragraph here. <sighs> Love you. My grudge, therefore, <laughs> is against Realm Grinder, a horribly compelling clicker that stops me playing anything else. Because is it on mobile? Can I download it? Yes. Oh. Because my lizard brain is fulfilled by the pretty numbers going up, but which I could never have an interesting conversation, about which I could never have another inter an interesting conversation with another human being, aside from about its fearsome hold. My question, and perhaps it is a foolish question to ask a bunch of games journalists slash developers, is how have you stayed in touch with gaming culture when time has been tough to dedicate to gaming? Are there games in particular that you can dive into for a meaningful experience despite having very little time? Thanks very much for your consideration and apologies for the length of the email, Sam. And no, apologies for you, Sam, for butchering this in a way that I'm pretty sure Tom Senior isn't sure what this question was about something to do with uh, <laughs> getting uh, a lot of experience out of a short amount of yes. time yes so uh, uh, so because Sam has been away from sort of like what we I would think consider Realm Grind is on PC because I think Alex has been playing it right by the way um, so but yeah, yeah so Sh short as, play sessions as, as, don't leave you feeling empty and miserable inside yes yeah I think that's what we've we've looped around to but there's a sort of grudge in there in the middle along mm. with a whole bunch of uh, uh, that's risk. Yeah. but yeah. I think the question is how do we as people who have had to stay within the medium rather than pick and choose keep our enthusiasm maybe that wasn't the question at all or sort of no <laughs> hang on no there was a question towards the end about like how do you no, he he mentioned us specifically as games industry people, right? As as in this question wouldn't apply to us because we're surrounded by games all the time, and therefore we wouldn't need this. I thought that that was the question. No, the question came shortly after that. You've read this so badly. Could you read it again, like the end of it? Because <laughs> I mean, hands up if you want me to read this again from the start. Not from the start. God no, that's disastrous. I just want to know what that was a rhetorical was. hands up. Um. <laughs> How have you stayed in touch with gaming culture when time has been tough to right. dedicate to gaming? Yeah. What? Don't write yet. I know. <laughs> I have stayed in touch with it by, like, forcing myself to at points. <laughs> <laughs> what? Am I not supposed to say that? No, no, no. I, 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 mean, I was laughing out of a kind of sympathy enjoyment. of. I think you weren't meant. expecting me to be that honest, were you? Well, no, but it wasn't, there was no judgment <laughs> implied in that. 
Well, no, but at points, like, you do really burn out on this stuff. Mm, And, like, you sometimes just go through a period where nothing is particularly interesting, and yet there is still, you know, you do still have articles that you need to write and so on. And so I do try and feed that by reading about things or reading about interesting ideas that people have or projects that they're working on that aren't games yet but that they are maybe doing interesting animations for or figuring Mm. out you know particular limits or even just going back through why something didn't work so I'll sort of try those things or I'll try and just let it be okay that I'm not interested in these things and ride out other people's enthusiasms like you know okay well there's a new patch for such and such a game I know other people are interested in it so it clearly needs to be written about because it will be of value to someone and then trying to drill down into what that value is just so that you know you have a reason to write (coughs) the story other than because money you know Mm. because Mm. paid I think um, Sam is coming at it from the perspective of someone who is excited and hasn't started to burn out in that way, but literally doesn't have the time to actually enjoy the hobby and therefore is falling back on sort of quick and accessible kind of mobile fixes that are ultimately empty. With that in mind, my suggestion would be short form games like Edith Finch Mm. would be the first thing that springs to mind. Because it's something you can play in an evening and you, you know, hopefully you have a spare evening every now and then that will give you a a complete experience that you could very much discuss at length with somebody else. Um, and will hopefully like excite you about a particular part of the medium. You know, go play Firewatch if you haven't played that yet or go play Her Story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, those games are all short, but full of discussion points and Mm. thinking points there's also um just to plug some rps things there's the freeloaders stuff that brendan does that will pick out free like generally small games that you know might fly under people's radars that are interesting or worth a look um and alec does the un um Oh, what is it? I it was in my head a second ago. Something pleasures, um, unknown pleasures, something like that. Um, where he will pick into things that are released on Steam, but that might just fly under the radar because so much gets released on Steam hmm. at the moment, and sort of try and pick out some gems that we don't have time to cover meaningfully. Um, because there's only so many hours in the day, so many news stories we can write, but um, that would be of value to people to check out or to have a look at or you know any of that kind of stuff so those can be good if you aren't necessarily keen to you know spend part of an evening just downloading things from itch.io or like googling or you know figuring that stuff out um but like i think the other thing is that sometimes it's just okay to drift away from a thing and then tap back into it because um it might just be that that's a different i you know and obviously that might come across as patronizing but i think that what what i I just i just i was i did a self-conscious look because i poured extremely loudly oh okay there's nothing to do with what you were saying i was just i was just um apologizing with an eyebrow (laughs) sure why not um but i think that the uh 
PC gaming community can be quite all or nothing. You know, like mm. if you if you miss a few updates on a thing or if you don't play the new hotness, like if you don't play player unknown battlegrounds, then you might be completely adrift in most of the PC gaming chat rooms at the moment, you know? Mm. And I think that that can be quite um isolating or can make you feel like there aren't enough hours in the day to keep up with x y and z yeah but i think that that is a it's kind of a, a it's easy to feel like that but it's not it's not quite what's happening it's just that those specific communities aren't good ones I, uh for for that period of your life you know i think that Games move a lot faster now. I'm thinking particularly about Hearthstone and Overwatch and games like that, where like Overwatch should be just the perfect dip-in game, but it and Hearthstone is kind of like really wonderfully accessible in terms of interface and in terms of just downloading it and playing it. Should they, these games should be like incredibly accessible and really just easy to dip into, and they they aren't mm. because of the, the 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 fast updates and the the meta shifts that really get you know you get shouted at if you're not keeping up with frankly on an overwatch team and you get battered in hearthstone if you're not keeping up with like a lot of these games that present themselves as being accessible as being kind of good meaningful ongoing service games are actually impenetrable for the for someone who doesn't have the amount of time that level of time to invest in keeping up with the Mm. overarching state of the game kind of thing yeah Mm. yeah this is very difficult to do any kind of multiplayer context yeah yeah so i don't like i don't know if that's helpful but i it's something that i find because i like to um so there are some people who are amazing at keeping up with new news and having opinions on it like really quickly and then moving on to the next thing or like getting really into it for two weeks and then moving on and there are some people that um enjoy letting something settle and can like only really engage with it after a certain amount of time or if there's a bit more peace and quiet around it without needing to engage in like the hot take factory and stuff and I'm very much in the latter camp but that can be quite a um uh, it can prove really conflicting with the demands of the job because it sometimes suddenly means I'm not up to date with particular things or i come to a thing massively late because i couldn't play it in any sort of sensible headspace while everyone else was actually talking about it Mm. like i'll probably get to undertale in three years time that kind of thing yes um and so it means that the end of year is particularly interesting when you're supposed to do game of the year lists and you're kind of like look i can tell you what was good in 2010 now (laughs) so uh what are we doing about that? Mm. <laughs> and everyone's like, yeah, but what do you mean you didn't play any of The Witcher 3? And you're like, oh, well. Tell me about it. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Mm. Um, so I, I don't necessarily think that that helps, but I think that the way that PC gaming communities and gaming communities work come can sometimes really skew how you personally feel about your gaming habits even if actually you're not that Mm. unusual it's just that you're not the the rest of the people who are in your boat Mm. also then get pushed away valuable perspective to have on it i think you're not as behind on games as you think you are because most people don't play every game that comes out even if the media makes it look that way most people can only really afford like one triple a every few months if that yeah 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 
and they'll mine it out because yeah. that's yeah. the game that they bought, you know? Mm-hmm. Like at, at risk of a giant tangent, that always used to be my qualm when reviewing open world games, which felt very easy to dismiss from a kind of uh, weary man who has to review the Assassin's Creed 3 in three days hmm. perspective. But with that awareness that this is someone's Christmas game that they will spend a month playing, and is it fun until in that their context? Easter money comes through? Yeah, exactly. You know? And Easter's coming late this year, so thank goodness for the tick boxes. Yeah, thank goodness for the extra crafting challenges. Like, yeah, that was always an open-ended, yeah, quantity true. versus quality I mean, question. That's true. Assassin's Creed Three was a shit show, though. It was, it was also <laughs> it was it was shit, which it helped the bit it in the final right, analysis. Yeah. But like, yeah. there was a broader philosophical question about mm. what if it wasn't shit. Yeah. Would it be shit? Yeah. And other things you ask yourself at one in the morning while watching the Assassin's Creed 3 mm. credits roll. I would, um, I, in terms of games that are mindless and quick, uh, I would recommend one thing, a death punch. I, I was <laughs> so sure you were going to say Diablo 3. <laughs> well, that too, I suppose. But, <laughs> yeah. but not I, the I way find that like, Tom plays it. <laughs> not a quick fix, let's be honest. It's... <laughs> A, a lifestyle choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, rather than a... a lot of... So all I'll say is a lot of quick fixes also turn out to be lifestyle choices. That's mm. true in a lot of different fields. Uh, but one thing, is, like, you're not going to get any plot, you're not going to get any revelations, but as a kind of a clicker game, which it basically is, one finger death punch is supremely satisfying. Uh, you play a little stick man, Stickman ninjas attack you, and you uh, they attack from the left and the right. You left click to attack the left ninjas. You right click to attack the right ninjas, and it's just a beautiful rhythm game that accelerates and accelerates and gets faster. Uh, it, it basically matches its pace to your ability to react to left click and right click, uh, and it presents it all in a '90s Stickman ninja style, which is I find delightful. <laughs> so <laughs> that's yeah. a very good recommendation. Yeah. It's an excellent. I love it, Tom. Thank you so much for rounding out this question wait, <laughs> on wait. a solid practical recommendation pip you were going to say well i was also going to suggest that if um if it's a case of wanting to be part of those conversations but maybe working on a thing i think it depends on what the work is but there is also like that's where streaming can actually be mm. useful is like you can kind of keep up with what the game basically is or get a sense of whether you would like to actually spend time learning it or playing it just by watching what's going on or having it as background noise or something you know as as ambient and that maybe helps you narrow down the things that you do care about or would like to invest a bit of time in without having to buy it first and then figure it all out and go through a tutorial and then think oh i really don't get this and i don't care and i don't have the wherewithal for it Mm. 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 see practical can you believe that we've gotten through a whole bottle of wine since Tom went to get a whole bottle of wine. I still haven't finished mine. We've got drinks left. Yeah. Still though, <laughs> can you believe it? It's been one of those pods. I tell has. you what, people at home, they can. Yeah. yeah. Um, we, apologize? we were supposed to do a bright and breezy short pod, weren't we? How's it going? I have said that so many times. Yeah. And it's almost mm. like a little incantation mm. I do before we inevitably do a three hour drunko pod. <laughs> However... That, Bib. Well, I was just going to say, <laughs> what? Just no, was... well, there was a grudge buried within that, and I think the grudge was generally adult life. So I'm going to say that can definitely it, go well, in the book. It was, it was specifically against the game Realm Grinder. Oh, okay. I'm not sure how I feel about that. We'll put that pending. <laughs> I'll have a look at it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Realm Grinder pending real life. Okay. Ask me in 500 hours when I've sunk that amount okay. of time we into get, Realm Grinder by accident. It's on Android. We can, we can get that no, downloaded. I think it's on PC. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, and I've got 500 hours on Adventure Capital. You're not going to believe so. this, but I'm going to sneeze. Oh, God. So this is going to be one of those outros as well as one of those outros. Oh. If we just outroed this, like, 20 hours look, earlier. <laughs> look, we've got a Patreon. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Look, I've got to whatever. do it or people won't Let's feel leave. like they've got the closure. Or I won't feel like I've got the closure. Also, and really, I don't that's think what we are on about. Facebook. So. We're not. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> this is why you don't get to do the closure. I do it on the RPS podcast. They let me. I host those. I overheard that today. Really? Yeah, through my office door. And it was competent. And yeah. I knew all of the things. Yeah, it was good. I gave out an email address I'm not entirely sure we have, but I mean, it's fine. Yeah, and top RPS scoops here. Podcast at is <laughs> all the questions and grudges and indeed the quadges that we have time for. If you'd like to send a question, grudge, or quadge to the Crate and Crowbar, you can do so by emailing us at questions at crateandcrowbar.com. And yes, person who asked, that is also a good place to send statements. <laughs> <laughs> send if jokes. You, yeah. If you'd like... <laughs> if you'd like... <laughs> if you'd like to check us out on YouTube, you can do so at youtube.com forward slash crate and crowbar, where you'll find the YouTube versions of all of our podcasts, as well as our ongoing Bloodborne series, which enters its 10th episode this week. Very exciting. As Tom and I brave a new frontier, which is we drink during the next four or five of these. Amazingly, people think we've been drinking already. Yes. And we have not. We've been no. completely sober. For, yeah, you for should all definitely not have said that. You should definitely just have kept just kept that myth yeah, alive. Sure, why yeah. not? Um, and that goes <laughs> as well as you'd expect. Uh, if you would like to join in our community, you can do so on our Discord channel. The link is on our website, crateandcrowbar.com. Our Discord community is an amazing place to discuss the games you like and the podcast and miniatures and all sorts of other things. If you would like to support the podcast you can do so by backing us on patreon you find out more information about our patreon program at patreon.com forward slash crate and crowbar this is a extra reminder that we are recording Mitch's monthly tom and i um a little bit early this month so if you're interested in our, i could join in you could if you like no i don't <laughs> i didn't think you wanted to <laughs> that I, would be the worst thing i'd get so bored i'd be scratching at the door to get out yeah. like oh awful a lot of people do like Miniatures Monthly, however. <laughs> it is very good. <laughs> it is. Irrespective um, of uh, <laughs> that point. You both do amazing work with your miniatures. Like, every time they get... Like, I'll just say, every time that you two get them out to play on the table downstairs, they're amazing. They look Thanks, so Pip. good. Oh, that's, nice. that's very kind of you to say. That's, that's an, uh, eerily kind, actually. I'm not sure what to make of that. Oh. <laughs> your relic toe is so good. Oh, I like him when he's scolded. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's a little mini skeleton. Huh. Well, this feeling is <laughs> pip approval. <sighs> a rare thing. Look, I reserve it so it's valuable. <laughs> like the most secretive plot. <laughs> I'm cutting you off now. <laughs> no more plot for us. <laughs> if the, the reason I started saying that before I stopped saying that was that <laughs> we're recording Mindy's Month a little bit earlier than usual this month. So if you have any questions for that podcast, I wouldn't normally do a cross-pollination announcement, but... 
email us at miniatures at creatingcrowbar.com if you have any questions to get in for minis monthly this month because we're recording very soon. If you'd like to follow us as individuals, I'm on Twitter at cthurston, that's C-T-H-U-R-S-T-E-N. Tom is... Uh, I'm at plortludo, which is at <laughs> P-L-O-R-T-L-U-D-O. Nice. Oh, damn it. I was going to say I'm at plort plort. Let's <laughs> <laughs> want to see what happens. At pips poops. <laughs> Plortable war. Plortipus. Plortipus. That would be a great, you know, Plortipus. Uh, at Philippa War, which Duck is... Duck build Plortipus. At P-H-I-L-I-P-P-A-W-A-R-R. Nicely remembered. Got the name right. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, everybody. everybody.